This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt. Your coach, your guide on the side. You know, happy, uh, happy holidays almost. Fourth of July coming up. Are you ready? What are you doing? You got some good uh, festivities going on? I don't. I will be tilling my garden once again, my weed garden. Family's out of town. It's really sad. My family left me for four days. Last night, my first uh, night of bachelorhood. What a party. Got home about seven. Made some tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> Cup of milk. And I was asleep by eight o'clock on the couch. <laughs> it's such a boring man. Hey, what'd you do when your family was away? Well, I just had some tuna, made me some tuna and fell asleep. But tonight's going to be different because we don't have work tomorrow, right? Holiday. So tonight I'm going to let my hair down. I will probably go get a burrito and be asleep by 8.30, a half hour later than the weekday (laughs) party. And then I'm going to get up and till my garden and uh, (laughs) probably take a nap after that. And then I will probably take about 400 ibuprofen, which is how I handle my pain. And then we'll go to bed to ni- at 9 instead of 8. Then I'll go to bed at 9 yeah, on Saturday. You're just, you're just a late going. I know. I don't know how I do it. <laughs> Parties everywhere. Hey, uh, we got a great show for you coming up today. Have uh, you been wondering where the bees are all going? You know, the bees, they're disappearing. We'll be talking about it with uh, an expert. Brian Merrill will be joining us. Here from Brigham Young University, he's a graduate student that's studying where are the bees going. About 41% decline in the bee population this year. Are you kidding me? 41% decline. Actually, 42% of honey bee colonies have died off in the 2014-2015 year. That's a scary thing. We need to be afraid of that. It used to be, you know, you'd, you'd run away from these bees. You know, if you could kill a bee when you were a kid, that was a big deal. You've accomplished something. But now we're losing them. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the reports says they're dropping like flies. And sadly, we need them a lot more than we need flies probably. So we're going to be talking about that in this next hour. Also, after uh, in the second hour of the show, we're going to bring in a BYU professor who's going to give us a little history lesson on Independence Day. And, uh, you know, Revolutionary War, the need for independence, all of the background we need to know. So that way you're up to date. So when your kids ask you, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? You can just you can say it's more than just a really good fireworks show. And uh, in our last hour of the program, uh, we, of course, we're going to focus on something with families. We're going to talk about 10 rules to having a happy family no matter what your circumstance, regardless of how your family is set up. You know, it's, it's most of our families aren't this typical ideal family. Uh, so however yours is uh, set up, we're going to show you the principles that lead to happy families. Got a great expert coming on at that hour. Um, Donna Matthews will be joining us to help us with that. But before we get to all of this and before I go, you know, 
and start my incredible weekend of going to bed at 8. Let's first go to Kathy Aiken and find out what she's got in the headlines. Good morning, Matt. Thousands of residents in Maryville, Tennessee, were evacuated early this morning after a freight train derailed. The train was carrying highly flammable and toxic gas. Seven people were hospitalized after breathing in the toxic fumes. People in a two-mile radius were sent to a local high school where a Red Cross shelter has been set up. The evacuations could last up to 48 hours. Meanwhile, 60 residents in Festus, Missouri, were forced to flee their homes overnight after heavy rains triggered flash flooding. Officials say five inches of rain overnight impacted nearby streams. After last week's Supreme Court ruling legalizing same-sex marriage, a Montana man wants polygamy legal as well now. Nathan Collier, who's been on the TLC reality show Sister Wives, has a to legally marry his second wife. Collier said he was inspired by last week's ruling and said he'll sue if the application is turned down. He said it's about marriage equality, which he believes also includes polygamy. Yesterday in Salt Lake City, Episcopalian clergy and laypeople voted to allow same-sex weddings. The measure passed by an overwhelming margin. The church, which is based in New York, is known for electing the first openly gay bishop in 2003. The Episcopal Church has nearly two million members. Another shark attack in North Carolina yesterday. A 68-year-old man was attacked in waist-deep water about 30 feet offshore in the Outer Banks. The man was pulled underwater by the shark and had wounds to his ribs, lower leg, hips, and both hands. This was the seventh shark attack along the North Carolina coast in just three weeks. The record-breaking number may be related to the unusually hot temperatures, prompting the fish to migrate north earlier than usual. Others point to shark fishing in the area. Macy's announced yesterday they're dropping Donald Trump's clothing line. Now New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said his administration will review the city's business deals with Trump. This after the GOP contender's controversial comments about Mexican immigrants. NBC and Univision severed ties with Trump earlier and said they won't televise the Miss USA pageant. However, cable channel Reels picked up the rights and will air the pageant on July 12th. The U.S. women's soccer team will play Japan for the World Cup title on Sunday. Japan beating England last night in the other semifinal 2-1. to one. Four years ago, Japan beat the U.S. in a penalty shootout to win the Cup, so the Americans are looking for a little redemption. And I have to say, after your B, you're talking about Bs. Yeah. There was a woman in California that was looking for a shortcut to get home, Mm -hmm. and she ran out of gas and went into labor. Oh, no. So she has her baby. Oh, she's all by herself. She's all by herself. She's going to have me a baby. Has the baby. No way. And bees start attacking the placenta. And so she's fending off these ba- the, the, her baby not oh, to get stung, and she gets stung heavens. by these bees. So she gets rescued by starting a fire, which kind of blew into kind of a small wildfire, and that's how they found her. But Holy the bees swore that. She called them meat, meat, meat bees or something? Yeah. I've never heard of that. Well, so these so. are the, uh, these are the what they're called, the killer placenta bees. The killer placenta bees. And, and they the only chase pregnant women and wait and for their, their placenta. <laughs> Holy that weird? cow. Yeah, you'll have to ask your guest about that. Well, Strange. yeah. That's where they're I'm gonna going, I'm going to ask, is it normal? Is well, because um, I think a lot of people in other cultures take their placenta and use it to like – For weird stuff. Weird stuff, like yeah. growing – even growing trees and it's just a highly rich nutrient. Isn't that weird? That's very weird. See, I came, <laughs> I came from such a different family. My wife's parent – my wife's father's a doctor. Mother was a health educator. So every time we'd have a baby, they'd, they'd kind of hang around like they'd loom. They were looming over were our loomers. baby. But my father-in-law would always just – he'd want to listen to the baby's heartbeat because he's a cardiologist and he wanted to make sure there was no arrhythmias or whatever. And my mother-in-law always wanted our placenta. 
And, and she would do what? She with would it? take the placenta to class and then let all of her high school students look at the placenta. On all of your children. Is that the weirdest thing that in the world? That is the yeah. weirdest thing. Yeah. But I mean, it what beats, were they looking for? I guess they're just showing, because, you know, what kid ever gets to see a placenta? And I don't know how you, do you like check out your placenta? Like, hey, I'd like to check out one placenta and one <laughs> umbilical cord, please. It's, what do you, but she would just walk it out in a bag out of the hospital. Wow. I think you're allowed to take your placenta home. Really? I mean, I don't know why you I've would. I've never asked for mine. Yeah. You know, with my luck, I just leave it in the back of the car and forget about it. Yeah, and kind of like your soda. Yeah, that's not kind of like my soda. soda and then all of a sudden, hey, Dad, what's this in the bag? You don't want to open that, son. You do not want to open that. Not but in I mean, this it's heat. a, it's a, it's an, it's an organ, right? The placenta is an organ the baby lives in yeah, while they're nourishes in, it. Yeah, right? yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. All I remember is our last boy. They took blood out of the cord, the cord yeah. and saved it. Uh-huh. That's yeah. the first that's time. That's the old I, stem cell blood yeah. cord thing. Right. That was the first time that I'd ever knew uh, ever knew about that. Isn't that, that amazing? Was cool. Yeah. That's a it really, is amazing what they can do. It's and it's crazy because it's all it's going to come full circle because back to the bees. Mm-hmm. You want to hear a crazy story? <laughs> uh, so I'm in Cancun, having a great time, and one of the people that were on the trip with us, um, I won't name names, but she is a rep, a drug rep for a company that sells uh, a medical use bee salve. Basically, it comes from honeybees, and it's a salve, and it they use it, and they sell it to to burn units all over the country. Oh, wow. And it's kind of like Neosporin, so it's an anti – it's like an anti an antibiotic. But what they do is inside of the honeybees, there is this really um, weird – I can't even find the name of it. Uh, there's this sticky thing that they get off of trees that is inside the hives, and it helps to you know solidify the hive and make it a, a solid – you know place. It also helps like protect it and make it more airtight. Mm-hmm. But it also is used as an antibiotic so the bees can stay healthier. Wow. Now companies are using that. So this woman had it and all these people would get sunburns in Cancun and she'd give them samples of her stuff and it would actually take the pain of burn away. Wow. And now that pain of burn. So anyway, so we need honeybees. And to by get the way, that. here's why this all comes full circle. I'm getting basically from that same lady stem cell uh, it's stem cells that they're going to inject into my plantar. No way. To fix my foot. Mm-hmm. Well, so this, really? It's, 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 a, it's a form of it's, – it's like generated stem cells. I don't know how they do it. And they're going to inject it in my foot to help regrow and strengthen my tendon. You know, I, I, I told you I've had plantar fasciitis before. Yeah. Can I tell you my story? So I, I volunteer at this place once a week in the afternoon, and I was going there, and I'll, I'm just walking to the building. Just doing your walk. And pop. It just popped. It popped? It just dropped me to the ground. It was so painful. Yeah, my plantar fasciitis and your tore, foot, just popped. Did it tear right off? Didn't completely tear. Because supposedly that's okay. That's, that's good. a good thing. Yeah. In fact, I called and I said, hey, I think, I think I've think i torn it. She goes, well, that's good. You know, that's you good. probably do yourself a favor. You did. What? Well, yeah. So, yeah. it did. It, so I've got some ideas. I'll have to share them with you how yeah, to get how, it better. Yeah. Were you wearing heels? No, I wasn't actually. They were just flat boots. See, maybe, so it just popped. Okay. It just maybe snapped. that's it. Because I've been I wearing heels. I had a previously shot, though, with cortisone. Yeah, I've done that. And they think that's why it it, it popped. popped. It was because of the cortisone injection. Those are painful. No, those are painful. Those That's are what painful. I'm about to have. But they're going yeah, to instead uh, of injecting cortisone, they're going to inject. Wow, I can't wait to, to hear stem cells. You but need to anyway, be a, and honeybees. Be a study on mm-hmm. this. Or something. I'm going to be. I keep. I keep wanting to just pop it, but mine won't pop. 
Yeah, it's pain. My husband has had this forever mm. too, and so it it takes a while. He's been to therapy. We, That's actually what helped me was my therapy. So I'll have to tell you what we did. Really? Okay. Yeah. We got to see. We'll we'll talk about this. Everybody's getting frustrated that I keep bringing up my plantar. <laughs> But hey, but it's real. It's real, and deal and with it. And if you've had it, you know how painful yeah, it is. Yeah, you totally do. And if you had a heart, you would just love me and be quiet, and let me just suffer. Hey, uh, we're going to be talking about the bees. Where are the bees going, folks? This is a big, big deal. Can you imagine a world without flowers? Can you imagine? I don't know. About forty-five percent of all the food you eat, or maybe even more. Uh, disappearing and not having it? Can you imagine the day that instead of bumblebees, your teenage kids are out pollinating flowers all day? (laughs) That's their job. That's their after-school work. The bees, they're important. Brian Merrill from BYU, uh, a graduate student, will be coming to talk to us about where they're going and some interesting research he's been doing about a microscopic bug that may be killing part of them. Part of uh, this, the bee... Uh, hives. We'll take a break. We'll come right back, folks. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. back everybody here come the bees can you hear them that's the flight of the bumblebee today we're talking about the plight of the bumblebee folks it's getting scary it's getting very scary u.s beekeepers saw a 42.1 percent of their honeybee colonies die off in 2014 42 percent of bee honeybee colonies died off in 2014 That is the preliminary results of a U.S. Department of Agriculture study. Wild bees are also in trouble. In Europe, 9.2% of the continent's almost 2,000 bee species are facing extinction, extinction, according to one assessment. This is a scary deal. Environmental Protection Agency proposed new curbs on the use of pesticides. Some studies have linked to bee deaths. And, uh, in fact, Obama administration has set aside 7 million acres of federal land to more friendly to uh, to become a more friendly like bee habitat or environment, folks. It's it's a big deal. Here's some other here's some other reasons why this might matter to all of us. Bees are crucial to the global food food supply. Of the 100 crop species that provide 90 percent of the food in 146 countries, 71 percent of those are bee pollinated, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. That's what they estimated in 2005. So it's a big, big deal. And uh, we honestly don't really know much of what's going on. So we've decided to bring on an expert. Brian Merrill is joining us. And Brian is a, is a, stu- a student studying microbiology and molecular biology here at Brigham Young University, where he received his bachelor's degree. In August, he'll be graduating. He'll then be going to Stanford and uh, and uh, doing some more research there. Um, he is a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow and uh, is working under Dr. Sandra Burnett, where they have discovered viruses that infect um, the larvae, which I guess is becoming part of one of the diseases they're looking at that's called American fowl brood disease, 
which is is killing off some honeybees. So again, my friend Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. How did you get into bees? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually started um, in Dr. Burnett's lab, and what we're trying to do is, um, is she was a beekeeper herself, and she yeah. said, "Hey, there's a lot of bees dying, and let's let's see if we can take some of the research we're already doing." And see if we can help the bees. And so we went and we we found these viruses that actually kill a bee bacterial disease. So it's kind of like the virus kills the bacteria to save the bees. Okay. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. And you found that – did you just find that here, I mean, on campus – Using her beehive, or did you do a study? How, how you found it, and then did you have to replicate that and to make sure that that's the real thing worldwide? Yeah, so we're we're working on that right now. We actually contacted local beekeeping associations, and they were just tremendously helpful. They sent us samples of all their dead bees and their larvae and their honey and all sorts oh, of how stuff. Great. So everyone's pretty so, friendly. Like, hey, take my dead bees. Figure this out. Yeah, yeah. People have been really, really supportive. That's cool. Is there any reason you're wearing a yellow, white, and black striped shirt? Well, I don't know. Kind of look like a bee. <laughs> it just dawned on me. Holy cow, Brian! You look like a bee with your shirt on. Um, it really is an interesting study. You didn't come to the university thinking I'm going to study bees because I just love bees. You no, just got into a biology lab. Yeah, I, I, my my first interest was microbiology, and I did the research over the year, and then I asked Dr. Burnett if I could keep going, and she said, "Okay, but if you're going to stay in my lab, you've got to learn how to take care of bees." And I was a little terrified. So, <laughs> Were you? Yeah. Were you? Definitely. So when you as, – as somebody working in a lab um, – and so you found this virus, mm-hmm. right, that kills – this virus that is killing bees. So it's, it's a little bit of a complicated story. Yeah. So, the, so the bacteria has actually been a problem for bees for a really long time. So bacteria are just small, single-celled organisms. They, they multiply really fast. I mean it's the same thing that'll, that'll like give you pneumonia or yeah. like, a, like strep throat. And so – Instead of using antibiotics to treat this bacterial disease like beekeepers have done for the past 50 years or so, um, we wanted to try a different approach to try to you know, prevent the antibiotics from having such a bad effect on the bees. And so we actually went and found the virus that is the natural enemy to this foulbrood bacteria. Okay. So these viruses are found in low levels all throughout beehives, but they're not concentrated enough to really help a whole lot. Okay. And so we take those out of nature, we bring them into our lab, and we isolate them, and we, pr- we grow them on the actual bacterial disease. Uh-huh. Then we get rid of the bacteria, put the viruses back on the hive, and, we're, and it's looking like it's going to help the bees be able to fight off that bacterial infection. Interesting. And so, but you have no idea what percentage of the bees' deaths, the bee population's death, I don't know how you say that, is attributed to this virus. Um, or do you know? I'm I'm not sure that yeah. So the the Faubourg disease it it's kind of like the thorn in the side of beekeepers. It's not the overall cause of death, but it's something that it causes hive loss every single year. Yeah. Like if you had a big keeping operation, you're guaranteed to see it. It's really contagious. It's just kind of a it's a really nasty thing. And so it if you could problems. so if you could basically insert the virus that kills the bacteria mm-hmm. that is a big pain in the neck of most beekeepers. Mm-hmm. You're on to something. Yeah. And then do, do they just spray some treatment on the hive? What do they do to get rid of the virus or to, ins- to, yeah, to take care of the virus or yeah. to insert the virus? Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're just spraying the, the virus on the beehives and we're, we're doing a safety study right now just to see like how safe is this for bees. Yeah. Are you, man, are you sure you're not the one killing all the bees? You're yeah. inserting a virus into there. Isn't that amazing, though? But a yeah. virus can actually attack the bacteria, mm-hmm. which ironically, and I don't I know anything about anything, but I am a doctor. Um but they're using like herpes and cold viruses to now attack cancer. Mm, yeah. 
And there's so, so it's, isn't it amazing now that a virus that is, you know, used to be so irritating mm-hmm. can actually kill even more deadly things? Yeah, it's really cool. They've viruses have kind of, I don't know, they're kind of this, this interesting organism. They actually were used to discover a whole ton of things that we know about, even like DNA. Like mm. viruses were used to help discover like what DNA was that actually encoded our genes. And all of like viruses have been integral the whole way along our whole discovery of medicine. They've helped us discover a lot of things. It's so cool. And again, you're just a, you're just a master's degree mm-hmm. student. I mean, yeah. come on. You're a punk. <laughs> Pretty but, much. But it also, these, this discovery and everything, it's leading you now to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to study there? So I'm not exactly sure. I really, I really like this whole idea of viruses. Yeah. And so I kind of want to move on from viruses that infect bacteria, maybe to viruses that infect humans or people. Yeah. It's a whole different field of research, surprisingly. And so we'll have to see. Hey, Brian, as a, re- as a relationship expert, I would never lead with the idea that I really like this virus thing. <laughs> that's don't, probably don't a good start idea. There. Are you yeah, married? I am, yeah. Okay, good. Then that's fine. Because that would kill your dating life. Yeah, probably. It's Stanford. <laughs> hey, so uh, anyway, I'm into viruses. That's kind of gross. Um, back to the bees. So they're, the joke was in one of the headlines, they're dropping like flies. But when you lose 41% of a population, that's mm-hmm. a big deal, right? Yeah, it is a pretty big deal. Um, the, the, I mean, the goal of every beekeeper is to have every single one of their hives over winter. Um, and so... Uh, but then also you have to consider the fact that every single year the strong hives will actually split into two. Okay. And so um, 41% is really, really alarming. I mean, there are a lot of beekeepers that try really hard that can get that number much, much, much less than that. Yeah. But usually for every hive that dies, that hive usually split off the previous year. So there is another they, – they've created a hive. But if all of a sudden we're halving it, mm-hmm. then we're in trouble. Yeah. We're, I mean, at, at, at best – we're back to where we started. We're yeah, not ahead. You're breaking even. Yeah. Yeah. It, at best. Yeah. Is um, and when they talk about the bees, they 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 know it's an, a, a problem, but it's really interesting because they don't know necessarily what's causing it. So we're going to take a break, come back, and I'd love you to kind of just go through with me. I'll give you some things to bounce off. But there's 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 a lot of different causes mm-hmm. from everything from stress. Yeah. It's like we're overstressing, and I'm like getting in line. Yeah. Um, to uh, pesticides, to habitat, mm-hmm. to bugs. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about all of these. Again, we're talking with Brian Merrill. Uh, it's so interesting. A very targeted specialist right now in the bee world um, and has been working with a wonderful professor here on campus. We're going to talk bees, folks, see what we can do about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody. See, the bees are still here. Can't you hear them? Tell me this song is not just the coolest. Flight of the Bumblebee. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show, folks. Today we're talking about bees. You may have heard they're leaving or dying or disappearing. It depends on what article you read. But they're dying off. 42% of the honeybee colonies died off in 2014-2015, which is a big deal. And um, over the last, I guess, 50 years, we've gone from about 4.5 million colonies down to 2 million colonies. 
And a lot of things are being blamed for it, from pesticides to lack of habitat to just stress and uh, to bugs, as well as to uh, the honey brood. Um, what do we call them that, Brian? Honey brood yeah. disease. Mm-hmm. Joining us is Brian Merrill. And Brian is a, a BYU master's student researching microscopic bugs called phages. That's right. Yuck. Talk to us. So let's just go through these and then we'll get to the phages. So you've got uh, pesticides have been impacting the colonies apparently for years of bees. Yeah. Yeah. People are using them. After World War II, we came back. We started changing how we farmed. We started changing what we plant. We started changing the different kinds of crops we wanted to grow. And that needed more pesticides. I guess the pesticides started to create nerve problems and other problems in the uh, in these poor little bees. And that's been going on 50 years. Did, have you studied any of that or gotten into any of the pesticide side of this? I actually haven't. I've uh, I've read a little bit about it. Um, and it's it's very, very interesting. Um, and like you said, the, as far as as far as I know, and I'm not definitely not an expert in this area, but um, just as far as like increasing the food supply and the way that farmers grow crops, they can get a whole lot out more if they if they put these pesticides on. The problem is is that bees gather tons and tons and tons of things back into their hive. It's estimated that like every single bee will travel about sixteen hundred miles in their lifetime. Oh wow! So you can imagine if you have like fifty thousand bees in a colony and every single bee is making hundreds and hundreds of trips to and from the hive, yeah. that whatever's in their environment, they're bringing back, yeah, and concentrating actually, and it sticks to their body. They got that hairy little body, yeah, and then it they they pollinate, but it, and whatever else is out there. So if there's pesticides, herbicides, whatever is out there, they're bringing back to the hive mm-hmm. in probably a higher concentration than a human would experience. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's it's definitely a lot. It's they, a big deal. Yeah, they bring it back and then they eat it. And a lot of there's a lot of turnover of chemicals that happen yeah. in the hive. You can you can learn a lot about your environment by just studying what comes back from a hive. Yeah. There's a couple studies on that. And so. it's, it seems like that's actually true. I mean, if they bring back cigarette butts, yeah, <laughs> and they're hey, where'd the tobacco come from, boys? Um, but I guess when you look at it, if the bee population's been decreasing for you know, the last 50 years, that makes sense with the pesticides, but it doesn't necessarily make sense why 41% drop of Mm -hmm. bee population in the last year. It seems like there's got to be more to it. What are some other factors that they believe are the causes of some of the bee population dropping? Yeah. One of the big things that people are dealing with right now, it's called the varroa mite. Um, These little little teeny creatures, kind of like fleas, I guess, on a bee, except for they're, they're a lot bigger. They're Relative to a bee, it'd be like if you had the size of a small dinner plate stuck to you. Oh, really? They're really they're they're visible to the naked eye. They'll attach to the bees and they'll just like suck them dry, and really? they they multiply in the beehive and they're really really difficult to control. So they've got so they're battling mites, mm-hmm. they're battling pesticides, yep, they're battling the bacteria that you were talking about, right? What else are they battling? Oh, there's all sorts of things. Um, uh, another thing that is a little difficult for bees is um, just moving them around. There's a lot of bees that are transported to, to California for po- uh, pollination of the almond groves, almond groves. and um, bees. Some, sometimes they don't travel so well. They it's really hard well. for them to, to pick up and just move their whole colony down there. And so that's, that's a little difficult. You can oh, yeah. expect some loss with that as well. Well, it's almost like we're, us- yeah, we're using them in a way that they probably haven't evolved to be used. They, they probably haven't e- evolved to be placed 
in white hives <laughs> and yeah. then in little boxes and then placed in trucks and then driven throughout the country to then go serve. I mean, it's a weird, we're weird. We're kind of using these bees. Yeah, we kind of are. They're, uh, I don't know. So, some, sometimes I, I think they might enjoy it though. They just don't know how to stop working. Yeah. So <laughs> they're little workaholics. Yeah. And then they, you show up and then all of a sudden you'll hear the random car accident or you'll hear the truck accident where thousands of bees. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, but you were saying earlier that they're fairly, they're very calm creatures. In fact, you just started as a student in the, in the lab and you now have your own beehive. Yeah. Yeah. That was not my goal from the beginning. My goal is to just work in the lab. Yeah. And then Dr. Burnett said, okay, if you want to be in the lab, you got to learn beekeeping. And so over the next summer... I slowly overcame my fear of millions of bees buzzing all around uh-huh. my face and decided, oh, this might be a cool thing to do. And how so many bees year, do you own? So right now I just have one hive. One hive, which is about how many bees? Oh, there's probably 40,000 bees in there or so, 40 to 50,000. So you've probably been stung tens of millions of times. No, actually, not really. How many uh, times have you been stung? Oh, maybe 20 or 30. 20 or 30 times for, for how many years? For two, years? two and a half years or so. Yeah, that's pretty good odds right there. Yeah. And, but you enjoy this. Yeah, it's really fun. It's not, I mean, they, you open the hive and they almost don't even notice you're there unless so, you make them mad. So how is that fun? <laughs> so tell me the fun. Where's the fun? Because I'm thinking if you love nature, if you love, if you have a garden, if you love being outdoors, if you like pets, mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a pet, but it just seems like if you already like outdoors and nature, you got to have a hive. Yeah, it's really awesome. Uh, so the fun comes in. And the fact that last year I got about oh, 10 gallons of honey from two hives. Did you really? So, yeah. So you're just a honey hog. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Honey holic. There's nothing better than cracking open that hive and then scraping off some of the honey and eating it just right there. Right like, there, raw. Is it, is it good? Oh, it's so good. Do you just ever just chew the comb? Oh, yeah. I would do that all day long. Yeah, we were out with the, with the research team just a couple weeks ago, and there was a hive that had built a lot of extra comb that we had to scrape off so we could actually get in there and do an inspection. And I pulled it off. I told them, I said, I'm going to eat this right now. And they're like, are you serious? <laughs> that is so disgusting. I was like, no, seriously, this is so good. And I just popped <laughs> it in my mouth and they're like, Ugh. Have you not heard of the American fowl brew disease? <laughs> uh, yes, I have. That doesn't infect humans. That's good. <laughs> so, um, so do they get mad when you like pop off your hat and start chewing on their hives? No, not really. They just think, oh, that smells sweet. I'll go investigate a little bit. So it's, it's, best, to take it, it's yeah, best to take it a little bit away from the hive. Go sit in the car. But, yeah. <laughs> Which is what we did afterwards. And then they totally realized why I was so it's excited such, to eat it. So. It's such an interesting thing because forever we feared these things. And now as they're struggling, um, and we don't even know why, but it could be the mites. It could be the disease. It could be – we keep hearing it could be your cell phone. It's almost <laughs> like everybody that has – a, a cause is going to bring their cause into this, right? It's so true. environmentalists are going to say it's pesticides, and there's data, and they'll find data. And the companies that, that don't want it blamed on pesticides, they'll find research and studies that blame it on the mm-hmm. mites. Um, but I guess in the end, we don't really know. And I guess habitat's a big deal, too, because mm-hmm. we're pushing them out of their natural habitats. Right, yeah. It, kind of overall, we're, we're trying to get bees to do something that they're not necessarily meant to do. And so there's there's always just like an appreciable loss that comes with that. Um, it's, it's just, in my opinion, I think it's just a balance. Like we need food to feed people and maybe pesticides are the best way to control that. Maybe there's better options we haven't investigated, but we also need bees to pollinate our crops. But yeah. And then we also need to make, have them make honey because who can live without honey, right? Yeah, you would die. Yeah, it's true. I would die. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, but it's, it's, it's definitely a balance. And I think, too, there's just so much to learn from them. They are incredibly social animals. They're high. They're a social 
It's a it's a unit. It's a social yeah. unit. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found in my research is just simply they they were the founders of kind of socialized health and medicine. Mm-hmm. They as a as a hive, they're watching their bacteria levels, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And they go out and they bring back this crazy propolis resin that they'll go scrape off. They'll scrape this resin off of trees and other plants and then they bring it back to protect the hive. And you were telling me a story about a mouse. So it, and it's to me it's fascinating because in a way this is how we should be as a society. Talk about the mouse thing. Yeah, so the the propolis that they'll actually bring back to their hive has some like antibacterial properties and anything that they don't like in their hive that is a nasty or infection or mold or something they'll actually cover up with this stuff. And so, for example, if you have, you know, if it's really, really cold outside and you've got a little mouse crawling around, it'll say, hey, look, there's a nice warm place. It kind of smells sweet, so I'll go in there. So the mouse will go in, and of course, it's no match for like 50,000 bees, you know. (laughs) A couple hundred stings later, the mouse is dead, and the bees can't pull it out. Yeah. So rather than let it mold or decay or whatever, they'll actually seal it up with this propolis stuff, and it'll just kind of mummify there without decaying. Well, so think about this. This has been going on for years, millions of years. However, yeah. I don't know how long bees have been around. But imagine what we could learn as a microbiologist getting into these hives and just learn about, you know, I guess uh, antibacterial stuff or just hive mentality. I mean, there's a lot to learn. And yeah. yet, so I guess that's another reason why we probably ought to everybody ought to grab a hive, get a hive, put it at your house. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, every time I open up my hive, I see them like doing something and there's like, there's an endless amount of things that you can learn yeah. from them. Can, do we really know, Bri? It seems like everybody's got a, everybody's got an angle mm-hmm. and it, it almost typifies a lot of what we see in our society where everybody's coming at it from their angle and nobody's necessarily working together or enough of us aren't working together enough Mm-hmm. to save it and to fix it how um what what do you sense is is going to be the outcome what is the future of bees based on what you've heard and studied yeah i think i i hope that the future of bees is that i think probably the best thing that people can do is just to support um just 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 to find out what is the biggest impact mm-hmm. on bees and then focus on that I think that there there are too many factors to study and make make a laundry list of every single thing that's affecting the bees because I'm sure that something is like yeah. in some way everything's affecting them but if we can focus on the one or two things that are just really really the biggest issues and then focus on those and then just support bee health generally you know lots of people keeping bees um maybe trying to get back a little bit to how bees are used to being raised yeah. Um, I think that's going to probably do the most good. But I, I, I don't think that the bees are going to disappear. I think that we're the way that we're going, we're going to be responsible and we're going to take care of them. Yeah. Because, so. I mean, too, you're actually losing types or species of bees, right? You're actually losing a species. That's scary. Yeah, it is a little scary. Uh, it's kind of it's, – it's really difficult to understand what's going on in nature. And there's, there's, there's a – especially with the scientists, there's a difficult balance between identifying like – like characterizing what species are different from each other because we, we, we want to take care of the earth. We've yeah. given this amazing earth. We want to take care of it. And so one of the ways that we do that is we try to identify which organisms are species and how they differ from each other just so we can kind of inventory. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, here's this species. We don't want to lose that one. Here's this one. We don't want to lose that one. Yeah, and find and, their unique traits or their unique abilities. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's difficult to... I bet how do you, yeah. Yeah, it, how do you all, do yeah. that? And it's a moving organism, right? So you're going to... I mean, how do you catch that? How do you find that? Especially if they're dropping like 
of life. Yeah, it's true. And and when when you start doing that, it's difficult to to say, okay, you know, what is the value of this? And how do you place a value on yeah. on this species? And I mean, what? And then the other thing is, is how you know bees have been evolving. All these organisms have been evolving. You know, if we're if we're protecting this one species, is there something else we're slip letting slip? It's just this hard balance. And you know, we, we try the best we can to take care of what we have. But what? Um in your work, though, you've also found that bug, the phage bug. Mm-hmm. What's what are you what are you learning about that? Yeah, we're actually learning a lot about it. So, um, just kind of some kind of some trivial. I didn't know a lot about phages before I joined this lab, but um, they're actually the so they're viruses. So, a phage is a very specific virus that will only infect bacteria. Yeah, it's kind of like a lock and a key. It, it, there's no way that it could ever get around that. So it's only so you're you you're that's why you're fine in inserting it into a hive with bacteria mm-hmm. that's hurting the hive is because it's not going to morph into something else. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about phages is that. I don't know how good this estimate is, but scientists estimate that there's like 10 to the 31 phages on Earth. Like oh if you pick heavens. up every gram of soil, has a million phages in it just sitting there. <laughs> and so if, I mean, if you were to like tally up every single type of life form, viruses included, phages would outnumber everything else on the planet combined. Wow. So they're everywhere. And so what we're doing, it's not weird or you're not like inventing a virus. Yeah, like we're just pl- HIV to then insert in. Yeah, you're just grabbing yeah. something that's already, you know, majorly existing. Yeah, we're just pulling the the worst enemy of the Fabry bacteria just right out of nature, and we're just growing it, and then we're putting it back on nature where it kind of had already started. That's so. pretty cool. And then and you're seeing successes already. So in the end, uh, that right there will probably remove a lot of the stress on the hive. We're hoping so. Yeah, yeah. This they they actually carry the Fabry bacteria with them, and then. We know that when the foul breed disease breaks out, it's also a sign of bee stress, but it also contributes to it. Okay. Um, and so if we, can, if we can get rid of that, hopefully it'll take the stress off of bees a little bit and we can really, really study what, what the other issues are that are bothering them. That's really cool. I mean, it's, it, that's, that's a perfect example because life is that complicated. Life is seriously complex and we tend to just, well, yeah, well, just, you know, don't kill the bees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great idea there, Copernicus. But eventually, <laughs> you've got to understand the complexity of all of this, like the bacteria, the pesticides are impacting how we're treating them. Mm-hmm. That we just kind of think that they're, you know, they're this union worker group that we just throw in the back of the truck and take them, and they'll go fix. You know. Yeah. They're they're not a bunch of roadies that are going to go <laughs> set up a stadium for something, right? It's true. It's a little more complicated. Why? Um, what do you see? Uh, what would your advice be, I guess, for the average Joe? We, there's not a lot I can necessarily do. I live in the city. I'm probably not mm-hmm. going to get a beehive. Um, but what would you just suggest we do with our kids, with our families, maybe over the holiday that might in some way either educate or help? Um, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, if you have, like, flowers in your yard, sometimes you can go in and research what flowers are most uh, useful to bees. Um, and so that that's a great thing oh, yeah. that you can do. Um, and so I like in my backyard, I've planted lavender is a great one. Salvia is a great one. They look really nice. And they, they smell, smell too. killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And the bees love them, too. So does it make a better honey? Uh, I think so. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all honey. To you. Yeah, it, it all. Yeah, it all tastes good. So. That's a great idea. What's, what's another thing we should do? Um, uh, let's see. So, I mean, it's especially like with the local beekeepers, like there's a couple orchards near near my house. And so. Um, if there's if there's even though beekeepers are nearby, you can set up like a little like bird bath or watering station, help yeah. bees get some water, and so that's for like for the immediate local community. 
um, as well. If, you have, if you're spraying your fruit trees for bugs or whatever, do it really, really early in the morning or really late at night and minimize the exposure to bees. When do bees come out? Um, they're kind of, kind of whenever the sun warms up their hive. And so it takes a little while for them to get up in the morning and they go to bed kind of early. So that's great. (laughs) You got to be warmed up. Yeah. So, but, but, uh, do that early and then I guess use, you know, more friendly pesticides, herbicides Mm -hmm. if you have to. Yeah. And more natural types of, uh, like manure, I mean like fertilizer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. And I didn't think about just the simple idea of. Your flowers that you choose, but that's yeah, that's the real deal. Gives the bees more food and that's lets cool. them visit your yard. And it's cool. <laughs> Brian Merrill, we appreciate you, my friend. Great insight and uh, best of luck as you head off to Stanford in, I guess, September. Yeah, man, bees, man, bees yeah. got you to Stanford. I guess that's so. <laughs> big. Are you taking the hive to Stanford? Uh, we'll see. It might be kind of hard to move them. You but... know, what? I'd leave it with your mom. Uh, I don't know if she'll take it. Moms love beehives. (laughs) She'll love it. Well done, Brian. Best of luck to you. And uh, again, folks, listen. Listen to what he's saying. That's We need them. We need them. And the more we understand them, the the better we can uh, cooperate with them to create a better earth here and a better life for all of us, including honey. Honey. All the honey you can get. We'll take a break. Come back. Do a quick little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, one of the things that I, I was just talking to Brian Merrill on his way out, uh, our BYU student that has been working on some studies about the bees. Um, one of the things that just is such a human trait, okay, is we tend to oversimplify, right? We've got to just, you know, keep it clean, keep it simple. But we also tend to, um, we tend to, I guess, uh, objectify we tend to use things for our advantage and many would say well it's just a bee for heaven's sakes but here's the deal that he told us on the way out um a lot of companies and we've talked about gmo foods recently uh, genetically modified foods well they're, they're also trying to kind of some companies are trying to create kind of the super mega bee the bee that can take and get rid of, you know, that, that doesn't fall to the American foul brood disease or this bee that's stronger in this category. And they kind of create this this mega bee that genetically is um, powerful and strong. And then they mass breed it and then I'll or mass yeah, breed it. And then they mass take mass hives with a lot of bees that pretty much have the exact same genetic makeup. Right. And they're doing this so that we can go in and like really maximize our crops and our usage. And then a new bacteria or a new disease comes along. And because there's no genetic differences between this entire, you know, millions of bees, they might fall prey to a disease. And as an entire population, the entire population drops. They all die together because we're mixing and we're messing. We're trying to create the uber super. And it teaches me a really cool lesson just, I guess, about humanity. Maybe we don't need more uber, you know, super mega perfect, amazing breeds. Maybe what we need is just the average bee with an average genetic makeup 
that does their job incredibly well, and this is the same as humans. Maybe we don't need to go be the uber-perfect uber, uber perfect person and try to breed an uber-perfect company that has everybody exactly doing ex- everything exactly. Maybe what we need to do is just actually let people be people, let bees be bees, understand what they need, take care of their needs, don't just use them and ship them and truck them around, work on our pesticides so we understand the impact, start looking at our systems in our lives as a whole instead of just you know, a bunch of parts. There's one big whole and we're all somehow connected and you can't impact one without impacting another. You can't put the bees in the truck, you know, to go to go pollinate an almond field if almonds aren't what are the best food sources for the bees. You know what I mean? Then if you're going to do that, I guess, go take them out to party at the best, you know, clover field in the world where they really can get nutrients that they need. We're just used to using people. We're used to using things. And again, I get it. They're insects. They're insects. But the minute you lose them, you're going to understand it. And I'm just saying, don't use the same mentality with your family, with your friends. Let's quit using each other. Let's start seeing each other as distinct, unique, important. Man, it, you know what applies with bees also applies with people. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back after this break and after the news with more interesting ideas right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. On this program, we try to give you the tools, the ideas, the insight you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Again, we can't live it for you, but uh, we can give you some research. Now, we could be like a lot of the other shows and just fight and spew whatever ideas, but what we'd really rather do is give you the tools so you can go live your life and and make it a better life uh, for you, for your family, and really want you to live longer, love stronger, and, uh, and, and lead a healthy legacy and, and go out there and figure out what is your legacy going to be. That's the goal of the program. Today, we're going to give you some more tools around the 4th of July. A lot of times when these holidays come, we don't exactly remember why they're here. And so we are going to be bringing in um, Jeremy Pope, who's an associate professor of political science here at Brigham Young University. He's going to be walking us through why the 4th of July. Also talking about the Declaration of Independence, some of the history that was going on back in the time, and, uh, and see if we can't figure out why we are so fortunate and blessed to be in this great country. Uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll also um, be, of course, you know, just hopefully laughing. You got to laugh. And we'll probably be even talking about what we're going to be doing over the holidays. I've got an incredibly exciting holiday scheduled. Uh, family's out of town. They they all left me, just up and left and went on vacation. And so I will be um, working in the garden, you know, getting a tan. Uh, I love to burn, 
And then uh, once I'm all burnt up, I'm going to go in, take some ibuprofen, take my noon nap. No big deal. Probably go take my son to dinner, maybe to a movie. And then I hit the hay, hit the hay around 9.30. I won't even, I won't even go watch fireworks. Why? Why? When I already created a ton in my garden with my tiller. <sighs> Proud to be an American that can work in my garden. Um, sounds boring, doesn't it? But it's not. It's actually kind of nice for me. Um, what are you going to be doing? Would love to hear from you. If you've got uh, some holiday plans, text us. Go tweet us. Go find us. Uh, you can go, of course, to uh, uh, Dr. Matt Show, at, uh, at Dr. Matt Show, at Dr. Matt Show. And uh, we want to hear what you're going to be doing for this great holiday season. Any fun plans? Also, any favorite insights about the Declaration of Independence? I'll give you one. We know that something was declared on July 4th, 1776. That was the Declaration of Independence. That's the main reason, right? We're, we're doing the 4th of July celebration. And interestingly, it wasn't signed that day. So when was it signed? Do you know the date that the Declaration of Independence was signed? Because if you do, go to at Dr. Matt Show, at Dr. Matt Show, and uh, if, you, uh, if you send us that answer, we'll, uh, I'll send you out something cool. I will send you a free link to something really cool. I got to go figure out what it is. But it'll be something from my coaching world, and it'll be cool. A, a free gift for your understanding and knowledge. At Dr. Matt Show, find us on Twitter. But before, uh, you know, do it after, of course, you listen to the news. Let's go check out the news with Kathy Aiken. The Washington Navy Yard is on lockdown this morning, the same place where a gunman killed 12 people just two years ago. The National Military Command Center has confirmed reports that shots were fired at the Navy Yard. That's about a half mile from the U.S. Capitol. Tactical units are searching the complex and trying to clear the facility. So far, no shooter has been found. Thousands of residents in Maryville, Tennessee, were evacuated early this morning after a freight train derailed and caught fire. The train was carrying highly flammable and toxic gas. Fumes from the gas sent seven people to the hospital. Here is one of the first responders to the scene. It's very challenging because, first of all, uh, you hear the numbers, like 5,000 people have been evacuated. We're just prepared to take every who walks in the door. Let's do People have been this. sent. Don't think it's possible. People have been sent to a local high school where a Red Cross shelter has been set up. Authorities also warn some residents not to drink the water due to possible contamination. Meanwhile, 60 residents in Festus, Missouri, were forced to flee their homes overnight after heavy rains triggered flash flooding. BP has agreed to pay Gulf Coast Gulf Coast states $18.7 billion in damages from the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill. The spill is considered the worst in U.S. history. Payments from that will be stretched over an 18-year period. A 68-year-old man was attacked by a shark in North Carolina's Outer Banks, the seventh shark attack along the North Carolina coast in three weeks. The man was pulled underwater by the shark yesterday and has wounds to his ribs, leg, and hands. Three other shark attacks have occurred in South Carolina this year as well, 
while on average the Carolinas experience just six sharks attack a year. The Episcopalian Church voted overwhelmingly to allow weddings for same-sex couples, the third Protestant denomination in America to allow the ceremony. The New York-based church elected the first openly gay bishop in 2003 and has nearly two million members. The vote came yesterday during the church's convention in Salt Lake City. Chris Christie jumped in the GOP presidential race on Tuesday. Next up, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Walker is expected to announce his candidacy July 13th. Walker would become the 15th Republican running for president. The U.S. women's soccer team will be looking for some redemption at Sunday's World Cup final. The U.S. will face Japan, the team that beat them four years ago. Japan beat England last night. Two to one, and Matt Billy Joel mm-hmm. in concert last night at Madison Square Garden, oh. his sixty-fifth show there, and that's a new record. Do you know who he beat? Okay, New Yorker. Uh, it would have to be a New Yorker. No. Nope. No. Mm-mm. How many times? Fifty. Sixty-five. Wow. That well, sixty-five was the record. Uh, I'm going to say Frank Sinatra. No, he's not an American. Who? And I can't understand most of his words in his songs, even though I love Julio his songs. Julio Iglesias. <laughs> no. Who? Benny and the Jets. Oh, my. Um, Elton John? Elton John, yeah. Elton John's performed there more than Billy Joel? No, Billy Joel just beat his record. He just beat his record. Yeah, I know. Oh, right, yeah. Right, right. But, but forever. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I always thought Billy Elton Joel John. owned that place. No. He, well, he, pro- he will from now on. Yeah. He first started, well, look how long it took him. He's yeah, got to be 70. Yeah. His first one, he... he Played there in MSG in '78. Wow! And he announced that he'll play a show there every once a month as long as there's demand. And shows through December are almost sold out. So obviously there's demand. So he's going to shatter that. Who record. doesn't want to hear Oh Billy Joel Wouldn't in New great? York? That yeah. would be so he great. He puts on a great show. I didn't Have know. Have you ever seen it's the two together? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great show. That's an amazing show. That's a great yeah. combination. But Elton John, you know, I I don't know about you. You can't understand his words. I cannot understand many of. The lyrics, Benny and the some of them are like man, what Elton did he John, say? he he's a rock star, dude. That guy. Do you remember the like uh, Benny and the Jets? I mean, he's got, he just has the best rhythm when he gets rocking. Oh man, I'm going to find a song and we'll have to play it. I grew it. up I'm with have him. To tell you, have you tell me what he says? Okay. Oh yeah, I'll translate. You'll know all of them. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm going to find one. Yeah. No, I'm really good at at, at translating Billy. Goodbye, Yellowbrick Road. That one. There's some, some in there. What did he just say? I yeah. have to look it up. I really have to Google. The you know lyrics. what? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what these guys are saying. But and and what's funny is I wonder if it gets easier or harder the older they get. For them to say it, or for us to understand? For us to understand it, oh, for sure. Because I mean, like Elton John, did you did you grow up on him? I mean, uh-huh. like my yeah, sisters definitely. forced me to listen to him, mm-hmm. and I thought he was just so flashy. Man, that guy's flashy. Yeah. But um, I'm gonna, I'm looking up his songs right here. Rocket Man. Are Rocket you kidding Man, me? Yeah. Crocodile Rock, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, uh, Nikita. Okay, do you remember, though, the show is at, tw- I don't, I'm going to forget the number wrong, 27 Dresses? Was that what it's called? Yeah, tw- I think it's 2,700 Which- Dresses. Because 27- they're, like they're, the, they're at the bar singing yeah. Benny and the Jets, and she's singing it wrong, and he's making fun of her that she doesn't know the lyrics. That's and it. I'm like, that's me? I don't understand Those what he's are saying. The, that's it. That's it. You can't understand what he's saying. And so just, make just makes up their own lyrics. Uh-huh, exactly. Oh, he's got some. Daniel. And then he sang at, uh, what's her name's funeral? I was going to say, what was that song he sang? Yeah, Princess uh, Diana's funeral. Candle in the Wind. Candle Is that what's called? Yep. Candle in the Wind? I think so. Oh, man. Goodbye, My Yellow Brick Road. Seriously. Elton John, are you kidding me? Okay, I'm going to look up the lyrics. Don't look them up. Okay. 
I'm going to look at the, the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and I'm going to oh, kind of oh, lead you in, and you're going to yeah, tell okay. me what he says. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? yeah Next good. hour. Oh, that'll be great. Okay, you got it. See how fun this is. That's interesting. But Billy Joel's the new New York head, head of Madison Square Garden, taking it over. Hey, what are you going to be doing for this holiday? What are you going to be doing for the 4th of July? Well, if you're going to be around your children, we are going to give you a little tutorial so you can teach your kids what the 4th of July is really about. We'll be having a a political science professor from Brigham Young University, Jeremy Pope, will be joining us in just a few minutes to give us the, uh, you know, a little information. History Lessons 101 on the 4th of July. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back talking history right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Born in the USA, little Bruce Springsteen for you. Holy cow. So we've already gone to the music of New York today and Bruce Springsteen of New Jersey, I believe. Yeah, he's like Chris Christie's favorite guy. Chris Christie, I think, has gone to 50 concerts of Bruce Springsteen's or something. Um, fascinating stuff. Tomorrow, uh, we'll be celebrating the 4th of July. Actually, is it tomorrow? It's a couple days. We'll be celebrating the 4th of July. But in the end, folks, here's the deal. Um, do you even know why we celebrate it? A lot of times, you know, we haven't been studying for years. We don't necessarily remember some of the great history that took place that has has basically facilitated all of your great blessings here in this country. And so we wanted to bring in an expert that is in the know, and he's going to give us a little a little tutorial. Jeremy Pope is an associate professor of political science at Brigham Young University. He is a research fellow with the Center for the Study of Elections and Democracy. His interests include elections, public opinion, legislatures, methods, and American founding. Jeremy Pope, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I and you brought it. your daughter. I did. Carly's sitting over in the corner. Carly's hanging out on the radio show. Hey, yeah. uh, it, this is an interesting thing, and I wanted to do it really specifically for the, the idea of our kids like Carly. Um, we're going to have this great holiday. We'll spend time with our kids and our families. And yet we don't necessarily maybe even connect what happened around that time. And, and, um, and so I want you to teach us, what should we be thinking about when it comes to the 4th of July and our history? Well, you know, one thing that we often talk about the 4th of July and Independence Day. And one thing that a lot of people don't don't realize is that today, July 2nd, 239 yeah. years ago, is a pretty important day in its own right. Uh, it's the day that they actually uh, formally voted to declare independence from uh, Great Britain. July 2nd, they voted on it. They did. And in fact, there's this famous letter from John Adams to his wife where John says, this will be a great day. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the quote. But this will be a great day in history celebrated by fireworks and parades and public demonstrations. Everyone will remember July 2nd forever. Holy cow. And, and of course, he was <laughs> sort of two right. Two days off. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, he describes the 4th of July actually quite well. But why didn't we celebrate? Why didn't we? Well, the reason was because the 4th of July was the date that they actually 
announce the declaration. Yeah. The Continental Congress was debating, and to a large degree, debating behind closed doors without everything that was going on leaking out to the public. And so people knew that independence was being considered. The, the country, ever since Thomas Paine had published Common Sense, had been uh, obsessed with yeah. discussing independence. But they hadn't formally done it because they hadn't agreed on it. You know, one of the things people don't understand about the Declaration of Independence is that it was pretty controversial. And if you think about it, it's, sure. it's a... It's a dangerous step, yeah, right? This is because you're on your own. Now you're vulnerable if this goes wrong. You are. And lots of the founding fathers thought, this is too early. We can't do this. In fact, on July 1st, so yesterday, 239 years ago, there was a sort of set of dueling speeches, one given by John Dickinson, who was of Delaware. And he was saying, essentially, we can't do this. It's too premature. Huh. Let's not do this. He, there's a quote where he talks about this would be like pushing off our our uh uh, skiff into the ocean on a skiff of paper because we just can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And then he's opposed by John Adams, who has been really the intellectual force behind convincing people that we need a declaration of right. independence. And Adams has been working for really uh, weeks and months to try to get people to this stage so that everyone will vote for the Declaration of Independence. And he speaks for several hours in opposition to Dickens and saying, no, now is the time. We have to do this. If we don't do this... We will not be able to get aid from other countries, and, and it's time. And, and to some degree, though I love um, Thomas Jefferson. In fact, that's partly why my daughter Carly came because she wrote her her fifth grade report on Thomas Jefferson. Did she really? How great! Uh, people don't give John Adams enough yeah. credit for yeah, the Declaration. Jefferson got the memorial. He got the memorial, and all all hail the Jefferson. Yeah, people have fantastic. said he deserves it. But people forget that the reason the Declaration of Independence passed the Continental Congress was John Adams. He he persuaded people that it was time to do it at this moment. So it's a, it's a, I always feel a little bad that we don't celebrate oh July 2nd because yeah. that would be a nice monument to John well, Adams. And it seems like they were already having wars or battles, right? So the battles were going on since when? Uh, well, I guess the Boston Tea Party was in 73. 73. I, you know, if you want to date it to... You know, armed conflict, you'd have to go back three or four years, actually. There had been battles at Lexington and Concord. Uh Uh, George Washington was already in command of the army around Boston. Uh There were lots of little... Paul Revere was in 75, right? Bunker Hill. All of these things had already taken place. Uh, And yet there was still debate about whether we ought to fully declare... Our yeah, independence. there was. And in fact, the actual vote, which they initially take on July 1st, it's not unanimous. There, yeah. there are some. What was the vote? Do you remember? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the vote. The, uh, well, I know the states that dissented. South Carolina initially voted no. Interesting. Delaware voted divided because Delaware had two delegates and the two delegates couldn't split. agree and they <laughs> split. New York actually was unable to vote Why? because New York had not received instructions. And one of the things... It's sort of hard to think about this now, but the delegates to the Continental Congress were not really free agents. They had instructions that were given to them by their state legislatures. Okay. In fact, when you – in the period when people talked about the delegates they sent to the Continental Congress or to the Articles of Confederation, they often referred to them as ambassadors to the Articles of Confederation. We would never say that yeah, today no. about a senator. Yeah. We don't think of you – know, Warren Hatch doesn't – is not an ambassador of Utah <laughs> right. to – yeah. to the central government. Um, and New York just didn't have instructions from their state legislature, so they initially choose not to vote. Interesting. Uh, I think Pennsylvania also voted against it because there was a lot of anti-revolutionary sentiment in Pennsylvania at that, the time. It, but eventually, by the, by the second, and then eventually New York comes around and they sort of retroactively vote yes yeah. after everyone else has, and they make it unanimous. But initially, okay. there are a lot of people who are opposed to it and saying, oh, we're just not ready. 
did and did it. eventually Dickinson did he change? Uh, Dickinson, he was part of the. I guess he made it unanimous. Oh, he made it unanimous. Oh, no, the states. The made states it made it unanimous, and some of the people, some of the delegates, actually abstain so that they can make so, it yeah. unanimous. That's what happens with Pennsylvania. They switch okay, their vote the just, next day yeah. and say, "Okay, we'll make it unanimous," even though there are people who oppose this. And Dickinson goes on and has an illustrious career. Yeah, uh, he signs the Constitution and is a you know a great patriot. But he just thought it was premature, and and. It's a good reminder to us that patriots are on different sides uh, See, of questions sometimes. This is um, this this is the stuff we don't know. We don't even know this is going on. They sign it, and then I made the mistake earlier of like having everyone go to my Twitter page. So tell me the date they signed it because I was reading a site <laughs> called Social Studies for Kids, and they pretty much declared it was signed on eight two. I'm uh, sure. So what is that? September second? No, August second. I'm sure somebody did. Sign it that day. But yeah, Jimmy, some guy. I think actually it was strung out over several weeks. It takes them a while yeah, to get it, would it take printed that to get them in. Yeah, you have to get that. so that probably took like a month or whatever to get it printed. And it did. And we underestimate travel in this period. So if people That's are like, true. if they have business, they have to return yeah. to say New York or something like that. That's not taking a train from Philly to New York. <laughs> that is several days of travel. Yeah. And if and you're sick or you have a bad back, you might wait another day. Exactly. I don't really have the list of the days they signed it at my fingertips, but and I know it was it was over several days that's, that people signed it. Well, and I guess that's really what makes sense. But so June or July 2nd could have easily been the date, the date they agreed on it, voted on it. It's not an unreasonable date, no. but it's not the one we've picked. July 4th is the day they announced it. Yes. And then they signed it over over the time. What was the impact? What did the Brits do? And how did the message get back? Well, it takes several weeks for them to get word of this, yeah. at, at least in England. They don't – It's a horrible initial- news cycle, by the way. The news people would have hated that. <laughs> would have been – well, I'm sure if there was talk radio in the time, you could anticipate <laughs> this. Uh, well, this decision think? may be coming in six weeks. When the- <laughs> George III, what did you think? Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, but it takes them so- quite a bit of time. I would, from what I understand, they didn't regard it as that important of a step in certain respects because they were already, they were already engaged war, in a military right. conflict. From their point of view, this is really a local colonial matter. It's like governing things within the kingdom, and and so there's this rump Congress. I guess that's what they're calling yeah. it that has declared independence. But we're already shooting at each other. Yeah, we're spending whatever. an enormous amount of money on the military in this. Who's colony who's of ours. leading the military? So. Was there a um, was there a collaboration between the the political side and the military side? Were they talking? Were they together? Were our politicians saying, you know, was was John Adams saying, okay, yeah, they very much ratcheted up, ratcheted up the military response? Yeah, yeah. like were they colli- were they collaborating, or was it yes. kind of a political agenda and then a a rogue group of people out pounding? Well, it can be. I wouldn't say it's a rogue group, but it's, it is the case that the military and the civilian government have always had some degree of conflict. That's yeah. a little bit of a strong term because I wouldn't say that they were you know, at odds with each other. John Adams wasn't arguing with George Washington right. about, about you know, specific military policies. Yeah. And in fact, John Adams had thought it would be great for George Washington, who had been a member of the Continental Congress, to lead the army. Okay. But of course – the Congress has certain goals, and those might not be consistent with immediate military right. goals yeah. on the ground. And, and Washington had all sorts of problems that the military couldn't even really 
that the Congress couldn't really con- even conceive of, right? They're yeah. they're fairly well cared for in Philadelphia. They tend to be wealthy men. They're not worried about shoes. <laughs> right. uh, they're not right. worried about drilling soldiers. And when Washington first encounters his army, he is so depressed. I, I don't have the language at my fingertips, but he writes to people and says, "This is horrible. Oh, I no. never should have taken this job. This yeah. is I can't I can't believe the condition of this army that is here. And I just I have no <laughs> idea uh, how how I'm going to deal with this. Yeah, and you know, he writes to Congress, he needs things. He needs troop requisitions. They need uniforms. They need ammunition. And Congress wants to get him all of these things. But of course, it's hard. Yeah. Because what people don't understand about the government in some cases, well, you know, you've probably done some shows about the European Union. And yeah. certainly, we're all talking right now right. about Greece. Right. Well, the the American Union was much closer to being like the European Union Yeah, all then. these real, true, independent entities that hadn't exactly. already amalgamated. That's – yeah. And, and so they all had differences of opinion. Uh, the military, of course, is fighting a battle that is essentially around Boston and then they're going to shift to New York. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're a delegate from South Carolina, you have strong feelings about independence. But you might have different priorities for how money should be spent Sure, because South Carolina wasn't really threatened at yeah. that particular well, yeah, moment. They, yes, they're far removed from the real – Battle exactly, and I just I, so all, all of the time there's going to be conflict between the Congress and the military, and there was uh, Washington was constantly begging the Congress to give more. him give me more more and, more and not unlike Greece, we didn't have a very strong financial system during yeah. the American Revolution. We relied to a great degree on the virtue of the soldiers in in defending the country. Yeah, they had a good thing to fight for. They had the good purpose, the right purpose, the right heart. They may have, but they often lack shoes yeah. and ammunition and all of the sorts of things that, that armies simply need. They need. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Jeremy Pope, an associate professor of political science here at Brigham Young University. Fourth of July 101. We're going back to school and uh, learning about what really was taking place. Uh, July 4th, 1776. What's going on around that time? He's just teaching us. Hopefully, you'll be able to go teach your family, your kids, uh, some of the great insights that we're sharing with you today. We'll take a break. Come right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Neil Diamond. Oh, man. Good times. That's my childhood. Little Neil. Thrilled that you're playing Neil Diamond. Does she love Neil Diamond? She likes Neil Diamond. Jeremy Pope's joining us, associate professor of political science here at BYU. He's teaching us, uh, he's giving us the the 101, the basics of uh, Independence Day. We talk about it. We're going to be celebrating it on the 4th. And yet, a lot of us may not even necessarily know what it's about. So we asked him to come and join us. And he's, been, he's already taught us one thing, that they actually voted on the Declaration of Independence on July 2nd, announced it on the 3rd, signed it sometime after that. Well, actually, I think it was sort of publicly announced on the 4th. Although oh, the 4th, there are, exactly. People are Sorry. leaking it out. That's I'm right. sure people started Oh, yeah, they were all going it. home talking about it. Yeah. But it's a document that I'm going to bet uh, most of us haven't even read. Since high school, right? I mean, it's something we do. We just 
we you know we read it in high school. It's not a big deal. But let me let me just read a part of it that just to kind of jog every month everyone's memory. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. Laying, dis- laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them as to them shall seem most likely to affect this, their safety and happiness. That's the Declaration of Independence. It is. Yeah. Which is – that's pretty intense. So if you don't like what your government is doing and it's harming, altering, impeding your rights, it is your right. It's your responsibility. Exactly. To fight back on it. You know, one of the things – when I teach the declaration to my students, the question that I always ask them is not – I mean sometimes on a test I have to ask them, you know, who wrote the declaration or some absurd question like that. But the important question is really do you believe what you just read? Right. Do you believe that if – and the first part you read is the part that everybody sort of agrees on. Everybody's equal. Everybody knows that. And people – Sometimes almost think that that's the Declaration right. of Independence. But in a sense, it's not, right? That's just the prelude. That's the justification uh-huh. for the claim that comes next, that if a form of government is destructive of our rights, we have the right to alter or to abolish it and to create a new form of government. That's a pretty <laughs> radical thing, isn't it? That is it? radical. Well, and when you think about that in what's happening today, where the, a lot of groups feel like their rights are being impeded upon or – destroyed by government, yeah. then no wonder we have a right to blow up a government building. Um, this is kind of – this Declaration of Independence has been an example for people in various ways all around the world for well over 200 yeah. years. And people look to this justification that if the government is oppressive, then I have the right – to alter or abolish that government. And this idea, in a sense, didn't really originate with Jefferson. In fact, these were ideas that had been around since the, uh, you know, centuries earlier. John Locke is Mm -hmm. someone that everyone points to as an intellectual inspiration for Thomas Jefferson. And some people like Gary Wills, a a scholar uh, of this period, he argues that the Scottish Enlightenment was also something that inspired Jefferson. But Jefferson puts it into words and he, he puts it into a form that was dramatic that no one had ever really put it into before. And I, I suppose the firing of bullets in the American Revolution yeah. also makes it dramatic. That, that makes it really dramatic. Too. It almost seems like he was trying to um, it, to, to, to squelch the dissent and, and say, OK, we all agree we are going to fight it, which means fight it. So it's, it's almost more like he's substantiating, you're going to have to grab a gun, you're going to have to support this, you're going to have to get the money. This will require sacrifice. You know? So it's, like, it's almost like a call to sacrifice. There's that great line at the end of the Declaration of Independence where it says they pledge their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor because they're very serious about this. And sometimes we don't remember how dramatic this is. The, the government of the, of the empire yeah. was prepared to kill all of these traitors, to put them to death. And over time, they would, they would be willing to compromise with some of them. But there were a few of the patriots that they never would have compromised with. They would mm. have put them to death no matter yeah. what. The leaders, John huh? Adams, yeah. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, people like that, had they been able to Catch succeed them, find them. and win. It's, uh, 
that again, this is something when we when we think about Independence Day, very few people are thinking of the responsibility side. We love yeah. the rights, and you know we've had a big battle over the Supreme Court and. And, you know, a delineation of rights and what I don't know what it is, but it's just a clarification of rights. Yet yeah. Very few people focus on the responsibility side of everything else that this document declares. You've got. Well, the responsibilities are harder than the rights. Totally. Isn't, isn't that right? I, I mean, like the, the rights, rights. Yeah. The rights sound good. And especially the way Jefferson puts it. Although I, I want to make a point about Jefferson, if I could come back yeah. to that in a second. Jefferson puts it and it's broad and it's something everybody can agree with. And that's part of the way they uh-huh. wrote it that way. They didn't start writing, yeah. well, and this will mean you will have elections exactly. on such and such a day. They didn't try to get that no. specific. They tried to just have what's the core idea that everyone can agree on. But getting back to Jefferson, Jefferson was always a little bit upset that his version of the Declaration of Independence gets revised. Because on July 1st, they spend a lot of time taking things out, oh, removing things that yeah. bothered Jefferson. Uh-huh. That, that Have you read the in. original Jefferson version? Sure. Uh, it's online. People can go find it. It's, and it's a very interesting read. Jefferson says some things that, that they thought were controversial. Maybe the most famous one is that Jefferson makes the claim in his declaration that the king had forced slavery on the colonies and that this was one of the the sins of the king. Because, of course, if you go and you read the declaration, it has yeah. this long list of grievances. Right, right. All of the things that the king and parliament have done yeah. that we don't like. Uh, and Jefferson writes this and they take it out. And Jefferson was always angry about some of the deletions and some of the other things. Well, that how they, profound would that have been that if the entire declaration – had been presumed with one of the caveats being because the king forced slavery. Well, I think one of the reasons they took it out is that I, I'm just – I don't buy that yeah. claim. I yeah, think they, Je- it would, yeah, it would have gone against history. I, they, I'm glad that Jefferson was saying something nasty about slavery, though, of course, he still owns slaves. Yeah, he did but, have slaves. But um, it just doesn't quite pass the smell test to it's me that the king bad. forced the colonists to yeah. to uh, have slaves. That's not accurate. He was just really. building a case. That was one of his points. It was. And it, it was too – and there were other things sticky. they took out. Yeah. How interesting is that? I mean, I had never – I hadn't thought of any of this. This is fantastic. What What else do we need to know about this time, about what was going on? Um, I mean, you the, the war, I know, didn't go so great after. It did so, not. So now we've declared it and they got a beat down. We got a beat down. They really, really did. Uh it's kind of one of the ironies. I mean, now we think of the American Revolution as this great success. Yeah. And it, you know, on July 4th in 1776, it probably looked like a pretty big success. But by the end of the year, um, the American army had been driven from New York completely, had lost a number of battles, had been driven across New Jersey and was sitting in the snow around Christmas Man. in hovels with many of the soldiers' enlistments about to uh, – end. So they were about to go home. There was a lot of desertion because the uh, army wasn't being well paid, yeah, right. as I kind of alluded to earlier. And it's only at this point when things look very, very bleak that Washington does win a couple of victories, one of which is famous, one of which is less famous. But uh, he crosses the Delaware, the Delaware. And, and, and wins that battle at, at uh, Trenton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's it's just so important to have a victory. Finally, a at victory. That particular moment. If they, you know, if they wouldn't have had some victories at that moment, maybe the whole thing does come apart. Yeah. At that point, but they do win a victory. And one of the one of the things, and this gets us, I guess, a little bit away from the Declaration. But one of the people I like to talk about the most is George Washington because of all of his accomplishments. And in a sense, the Declaration is this claim that we're going to we're going to become an independent nation. But George Washington is asked to make this a reality. He can't simply write it down on a piece of paper. He has to somehow defeat the British. One of the great insights of Washington is to realize, I don't actually need to win every battle. I just need to never completely lose. Interesting. All I need to do is make sure that the army 
stays together. As long as there is an army, even if, as would happen, the British drive uh, the Continental Congress out of Philadelphia. They take control of Philadelphia and they have to flee and they reconvene in in Baltimore and other cities. Even when that happens, Washington says, I'm still here. Yeah. You cannot Because they're completely... playing the long game, I guess, right? They're just – we'll just yes. wear them out, wear them down. I will not be destroyed completely. This is Washington's insight. And it is the long game. And then eventually, of course, he gets an opportunity and they, they win a battle at Yorktown. That's telescoping a lot of history. But but, 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 he... the, but battles at Princeton, uh, yeah. he's, he's, in, he's wintering in New Jersey. He is. I mean yeah. this is this – is, And it was, a, it was a fairly harsh winter. It's so. a tough – Time, which is again too what I guess elevates Washington to really, being the best, one of the best. I, and I admire Washington so much because he had to make reality things that other people were declaring. I'll talk. I mean, that's what I think is maybe the difference between the military, maybe at times, and the legislative is talk versus delivery. Well, I got to deliver this. In a sense, you needed both, right? I mean, yeah. What if Washington simply leads a military and they? somehow prevail, but you don't have this core of ideas behind it. That's not nearly as impressive right. or as much of an accomplishment for the American Revolution. And it doesn't Revolution. seem like it could stand as long. You know, it's it just wouldn't. A, it's a military battle, a win versus But there have been a, lots of those through yeah. history. You need both of these yeah. things. You need, a, you need a Washington and then you need a Jefferson and an and Adams, Adams all playing their different roles. You need, and you all, it seems like Jefferson and Adams were about moving the minds of the people. Yes, especially Adams, because he had been working for years, really, to convince people. Him and also his cousin, Sam Adams. Oh, uh, isn't he the beer maker? He was a bit of a beer maker, actually. Yes. <laughs> all although, I hear about is Sam the, Adams. Sam Adams gets kind, of a, he gets kind of a bum rap in some ways, because people remember him for beer, but he was really a great politician <laughs> and funny. an extraordinary revolutionary, and also a deeply religious man who, who, was not, who, who saw this in deeply religious terms. How, how much of this was a religious push? Uh, certainly, it was important. By these men. Uh, one of the things that people forget about the founders is that they're a lot like today in the sense that they have varying levels of religious yeah. conviction and interest. John Adams, I think, was you know a reasonably religious guy, certainly a believer. Most of them were believers, but they weren't all believers in the same way. Like yeah. Jefferson, he was much more of, of a deist, somebody who did not accept things like uh, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, Jefferson famously goes through the Bible and, and chops out all the parts that he thinks he doesn't like. And they mostly have to do with things like the resurrection yeah. or, or elements of Christianity that he doesn't quite, Interesting. quite buy. Yeah. Washington is different from him. He never rejects any of that kind of stuff, but he's not openly religious. And, but he prays and, I mean... He does pray, but I doubt that... Well, there's a famous story about Washington when he was asked to kneel at his local church. And he says, eh, I'm not going to be I'm doing that. And they say, that. no, I really need... The pastor says, I really need you to kneel as an example. And he says, okay, I won't, I won't be a bad example. And he just stops coming to church because he doesn't want to kneel in front of the, the common really? people. I, there's no one I admire more than Washington. Yeah. He was a very aristocratic fellow. Mm-hmm. He, had a, he saw himself Do you know who above I am? The, the common herd. I'm George Washington. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating piece of history. And I love how these people, they're just, they're just like today. So connect it to today. Well, if I were going to connect it to today, I would just say that that group of founders would would probably ask us to think hard about what are our duties and our obligations today. And they're not likely to be exactly the same. We, yeah. We're not trying to keep the declaration in – or we shouldn't try to keep in declaration in amber. I don't mean that it should be destroyed or right. anything like that. But we should be thinking about what can we do to make our society better? What can we do to come closer to the good society today? Yeah. And it's probably a different set of things 
than they um, they laid out. It's not necessarily a contradictory set of principles, but yeah. we have different challenges and different tasks. And I would imagine if they were here, they would say, don't live in the past with our problems. Solve your problems. Uh-huh. Figure out this Greece debt thing. Figure out how to make your country more united and, and what will we'll build your society. Do we, that's what they would tell us. Do you sense we deify him? We do a little bit. And I, I guess I don't think that's a horrible thing, but it, it can be taken to an extreme. You know, when you're a kid, yeah. you see sort of the black silhouettes on the wall uh-huh. and they're above reproach. And right. Also, the thing that I think we make a mistake with is to somehow believe that they were all on exactly the same yeah. page. I mean, the Declaration illustrates that. They weren't all sure that they should do this. <laughs> it's interesting. It was yeah, a close they, vote. And how they, pol- how they politicked it yeah. to eventually make it look like it was unanimous, yet still covering Yeah, their well, hide. eventually it is unanimous. Yeah. They decide to come together. But, yeah. but there was a lot of politics that were involved. And they realized, you know, look, there are different points of view here, Jefferson and Washington. They're not all going to see it the same way. They're going to see different pieces of it. Like, but they I, should still respect one another. I like the idea when a historian can kind of deify a Washington because you're informed. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know. Sometimes I just hear people quoting him to justify certain – not Washington, all of them. We're, we're quoting him out. Well, you know, Jefferson never would have We do that a lot. We sort of take way. this position mm-hmm. that, well, I will take some quotation from the past and I will say that that yeah. supports whatever my political program is in the future. They didn't really think a lot about some of the serious problems yeah. uh, that yeah. we have today. Could they have fathomed what we're going through? No, they don't have – they they have wisdom to give us about how to agree with one another and how to engage in politics and all of that. But they don't have answers about whether or not um, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act <laughs> should be interpreted to give state subsidies or not. They just – it, it, is, it doesn't yeah. make sense to sort of think that we will find that in the Declaration of Independence. No. We won't. It's I guess you can find a principle. We can find principles like – Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Yes, and then how we interpret those that's principles. That's what we're going to have to argue about. And, and that's what's great about the Declaration of Independence. It is a moment on the 4th of July when we can all come together and we can say, all right, we do disagree about a number of things. But today we're just going to have a parade. Everybody's wearing red, white, and blue right. because we agree about this. And celebrate those lives that we're willing to go to war without bullets. Yeah. Yeah, that we're let's celebrate to, without boots. And, let's celebrate those men. Let's celebrate the women that we're supporting them. Let's yeah. celebrate this group of people. But that doesn't mean it solves all our problems today. So true. Good job, Jeremy Pope's his name, folks. He's an associate professor of political science here at Brigham Young University. His daughter is named Carly, and she's <laughs> done a report on Thomas Jefferson as well. Share these ideas that he's teaching us. Share them with your family, folks. We got to pass this along. And, uh, and just recognize how grateful uh, you should be to be uh, born in this country with this great heritage. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, you know what I love about uh, – I love having people that have a clue. Um, they don't have to believe in your political persuasion, but somebody that just gets history. How amazing is that to learn about the Declaration of Independence from somebody that's a scholar? It's a whole different ball game. And I really, uh, I don't know, I was moved by this idea that in the Declaration of Independence, it's not just the declaration of our rights, right? You know, like, we're free to 
have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not just that declaration. It's also a declaration that with having those freedoms, you have immense obligation, immense responsibility to to fight for it, to uh, to ensure your freedom, to be willing to support freedom. And uh, it's interesting. I didn't even know that it also says you're supposed to be willing to fight against a government that oppresses those freedoms. We always know we could, you know, we can. And every once in a while we hear about a, a state that's going to secede and leave the, the nation. And but in the end, did you know how much you're obligated to by simply having those rights, those un, un, unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? And yet the next sentence, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So the governments are designed and instituted in order to protect and secure these rights. Not always just give you the rights, but secure the rights, protect the rights. And that whenever a form of government is destructive to the end, it is the right of the people to abolish it or alter it. So if you are tired and don't like what's happening— you can just go start a revolution, I guess, in the streets, but you are obligated to try to alter the government. That might be vote. That might be get active. That might be start uh, you know, contributing to donating. It might be working for education to, to promote a healthier government. It's not just – you're not just guaranteed a right without a responsibility. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's such an important learning that we can all learn tomorrow and the next day when we have this great weekend, you've got a lot of great rights you're going to want to go explore and make sure you're also responsible in those ends. So you don't like what's going on in the country? Vote. Make a commitment right now. In fact, it's a great thing to think about. Make a commitment to go vote. We're not voting for a while. I get it. And yet... Are you going to do it? Have you voted last year? Did you vote the year before? Are you going to get involved? Are you going to be active in politics? Stuff can happen, and we don't need a a disaster or a catastrophe or a shooting in the street of an innocent person in order to change a city. We we just need to start pushing. Um, Anyway, it's very powerful. Also, let me just challenge all of us to go share this with our kids. Uh, our good professor Jeremy Pope suggested that everybody should go read that that paper, the Declaration of Independence. It's really just about a page, page and a half long, and it would create a really powerful conversation. It's something uh, that you really probably want to look at. In fact, we'll we'll post a link of this uh, of the Declaration of Independence on our page so that you can find it. That's it. Hour number two, folks, in the can. Thanks for joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break in the news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
the last show uh, before the big Fourth of July holiday. Welcome to the program, everybody. Got a great uh, topic today. Really, when you think about it, Independence Day, Fourth of July. And we just last hour had a great guest. Jeremy Pope was with us. He's a BYU professor. If you didn't hear it and you want to learn more and understand more about what's really going on and what we should be celebrating on the 4th of July, go back, find that uh, in our podcast. Go to, you know, uh, go to TuneIn or iTunes. You can go to BYURadio.org to find that. Just a great interview that I would highly recommend and it just kind of sorts out, really, how lucky we are to be around today and, and, and have the great blessings and benefits that we have. So that's important. We also figure you're going to be spending a lot of time with your family over the weekend. And because of that, we wanted to do a family topic. Um, today, we, there's a lot of pressure, right, to kind of have the perfect family, to be the perf- have the perfect kids. You want them getting the great grades and perfection and and everybody's kind of trying to be the best they can. Some are even actually trying to be perfect. And and we're going to blow up a little bit the myth of perfection because it's just not going to happen. You're not going to have a perfect family. And if you already kind of know that, you know, maybe your family's a little interesting. Maybe you're in a single, you know, single parent or uh, maybe you're a blended family and it doesn't always kind of fit the mold of when people talk about family. We've got some hope for you today. Today, Donna Matthews will be joining us, and she's going to be teaching us about uh, some different tools and ideas that can help your family, some rules, basically, to help your family be happy and improve their situation, no matter what's going on in your circumstances. Certain principles that create and, re- and, and generate a healthier, happier family. And that's what we'll be discussing. And heaven knows you need it. Come on. It's crazy town. You, you got to, you know, families are hard and you get stressed and you go on a road trip. And next thing you know, you're saying, don't make me pull over. I'm pulling over. Yeah. And then the kids are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> love at home. It's just one of those beautiful moments. So we'll be giving you the tools. The ideas you need to uh, hopefully make it through the holiday, and do so in a happy way. But before we do that, let's uh, let's get to our headlines with Kathy Aiken. Kathy? An all-clear has been issued at the Washington Navy Yard that was put on lockdown this morning. Shots were reportedly fired at the facility, but no shooter was found. The Navy Yard was the same place where a gunman killed a dozen workers two years ago. BP will pay out $18.7 billion in damage to Gulf Coast states after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill that occurred in 2010. That announcement coming just this morning. The spill is considered the worst in U.S. history. The payments will be stretched over an 18-year period. Thousands of residents in Maryville, Tennessee, were evacuated early this morning after a freight train derailed and caught fire. The train was carrying highly flammable and toxic gas. Fumes from the gas sent seven people to the hospital. Authorities have warned some residents not to drink the water due to possible contamination. As the 4th of July holiday nears, another shark attack has occurred in North Carolina's Outer Banks. Yesterday's attack of a 68-year-old man is the seventh along the North Carolina coast in just three weeks. And with Americans ready to celebrate our nation's independence this weekend, reporter Mike Dice talked with beachgoers in San Diego to see if they knew what the 4th of July represents. What are we celebrating on the 4th of July? Our independence. A little more specific. 
it's the day that we overtook the South. And it's the day that, um, it's our independence. It's, that's why we have the From the South. From the South, exactly. So it was the victor of the Civil War? Yes. Fourth of July? Yes. Okay. What country did we declare our independence from? Help me, baby. Nope, just you. You're on your own. Um, California. California. From. Oh, from? We declared independence from a certain country, which is why we celebrate 4th of July. What country was that? I don't have no idea. You're going to be celebrating, though? Yes. Yes. But you don't know what you're celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay. That's tonight's homework. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you. The Declaration of Independence was signed by who? I don't know. Just name one person. Um, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> I don't know. Is that sad or what? It took a man on vacation from Italy to correctly answer that we celebrate our independence from Britain. Oh, my heavens. We should have played that to your last guest. Was that huh? at my family reunion? That I think that was. I could hear you guys in the background. Yeah, we were playing ball. <laughs> the U.S. women's soccer team will face Japan for the World Cup trophy Sunday night. And Matt, as we talked about in the last hour. Yeah. Billy Joel surpassing Elton John for the most concerts played at Madison Square Garden was 65. And then we kind of talked about... I, at least, you. have an issue with you have a understanding. Impediment. I have a very hard hearing, <laughs> bad hearing problem. Uh, I can't understand some of his lyrics. You said you can. I can understand all of them. Okay. And I quizzed our boss, Don Schlein, yeah. and he, he got almost 100% uh, right on Goodbye Yellow I know, but Rick see, Don is, Don's weird that way because he, he has the show behind uh, Garage Door. Mm-hmm. Behind, behind the garage door. Behind the garage door, um, which is all about music. So he's a music guru. Guru. Now I know all the words. So you don't this, have it on your screen. Do no, you? I don't. Okay. I'm just looking at Elton's face. Oh, okay. Uh, but so 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 give okay, give ready? me the test. This isn't going to be okay. Hard. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, really quickly. When are you going to come down? Where are you going to land? I should have stayed on the farm. I should have listened to my old man. You know you can't hold me forever. Uh-huh. I didn't sign up with you. I'm not a present for your friends to open. This boy's too young to be singing the blues. And then the uh, the, the and back to the future. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. Okay, Let me what? go. Okay, Pardon? so goodbye, Pardon? Yellow Brick Road, yeah. where the dogs goodbye, of society howl. You can't plant me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow. Yeah. Back to the... Blah, da, da, wow. <laughs> back to the howling... Uh, owl. Old. Man. Owl. Back to the howling old owl. In? Vegas. <laughs> back to the howling old owl in... The woods. The woods. Hunting Hunting the, the goats in the forest. <laughs> I'm so glad. So you don't know this. Nobody. What? Okay. That's how does okay, it go? Okay. Back to the howling old owl, old in, the owl woods, in the woods, hunting the hunting the prey like a good doctor should. <laughs> okay, Don Shaline, jump in here. Come on, Don. Yeah, you know this. Okay, so tell him what that in. was. Okay. Well, I was okay. I was just saying what I thought it was, and, and I'm right. not sure I got it right. Did yeah, I get it right? Hunt, okay, back to the hunting old owl in the woods, hunting, hunting the, the horny back toads. What? There you go. Like, that's their version of a horny toad, I guess. It's a horny back toad. Yeah. Those are the worst kind. Okay, then the next line. Oh, I finally... Decided my future lies beyond... The Yellow, yellow Brick, Brick Road. Road. Yeah, good. I knew that part. 
And by, by the way, it's through the garage door, not behind. I know. The, I keep calling it behind the garage door. door. Yeah, well, I think that. if you go through the door, it would actually yeah. destroy the door. So I want you to just go behind so it. So goodbye, garage door. It's it's through the garage door. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. 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 I'm writing that down. So remember that. Next one. What do you think he'll do then? I'll bet that that'll. You 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 bet that that'll break his back. Heart. I bet that'll shoot down the plane. Yeah, that's it. So shoot down the plane. I'll take. I'll take you I'll, a couple of my uh, my doll. <laughs> I'll take you a couple of uh, Don. Yeah, she says it with the British vodka and tonics. See, that's why the er, that just throws me right. That off. was it. See, you don't pronounce it vodka. Yeah, and to tonic. set you on your feet again, man. Maybe you'll get a replacement. There's uh-huh. plenty like me to be found. Yeah. Mongrels who ain't got a penny sniffing for tidbits like you on the ground. Ooh. Yeah. This is, See, I told you you didn't know. You know what? You I told think, me you knew, and you didn't I don't know. know, but Elton, I think when he wrote that, he was under the influence <laughs> of some vodka. Now, Kathy, we, we need to stand up for the lyricist here. It was Bernie Toppin. Oh, Bernie Toppin yeah, was the lyricist. Yeah, Elton just wrote the music and sang it, sang it with funny pronunciation. I think. Kinda. Well, I think it is what's Bernie? Is Bernie? Does Bernie have a a problem like with words and rhymes? <laughs> is he? Is he? Well, they rhyme, but they just can't understand when Elton John sings them. They're just yeah. maybe that accent throws me off a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, you know that sounds like a completely different song than the one I learned. <laughs> I thought this See, was the one I from really Alice in Wonderland, the Yellow Brick Road. You totally blew that out of the water. Oh, you really okay. disappointed me. I, I thought I knew it a lot better than that. <laughs> that didn't even seem like the right song. It's embarrassing. Well, that's sad. Okay, well, thanks, Don. And, man, Kathy, thanks for making me look bad. Appreciate that. Like you needed help. Pitiful. Uh, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be joined by Donna Matthews, Dr. Donna Matthews, who is going to be helping us understand, because none of us have the you know the perfect family. So if you just have a... a a typical family, or if you have been going through some trials of your own, if you're from a divorced family, a single family, if you're trying to blend it, we're going to be giving you some tools to have a happy family no matter what your circumstance. Heaven knows we all need it right here on uh, this holiday weekend. This is the Matt Townsend Show, back after the break. Yeah, there's the song, Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, it seems like I can understand all the words until they start quizzing me on them. Hey, welcome back to the show, folks. Today, uh, as we are just preparing for the holiday uh, with our families, we we wanted to always focus on some family topics, right? Dr. Donna Matthews is joining us, um, and she is going to help us to figure out how to create a happy family no matter what your circumstance, whether, whether you're divorced parents, whether you are um, a blended family, whether you're single, um, and trying to figure out how to parent and build a healthy, happy family, it, it's not always easy. And it's also sometimes hard because there's this concept of perfect family out there. So we wanted to bring in an expert. She uh, has been publishing and, and working with, in schools with families and children as well since 1990, has published dozens of articles and books, and uh, is joining us today with the 10 basic rules to help us find health, uh, healthier and happier families. Donna Matthews, thank you for being here today. 
It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Talk to us about families, because today, you know, what a family looks like today is is not always the ideal kind of image, right? It's a it's a mix now. It's different. And yeah. talk us talk to us about why you know why it's so important to still have hope that we can make happy families in any situation. Oh, sure. I mean, one of the the uh, concepts there, it's a uh, a misconception that a lot of people have that people of the past were raised in happy families with a mom and a dad who loved each other and loved the children. That has always been more the exception than the rule. So to begin with, that traditional notion of family is a bit... Um, you know, sort of Vaseline on the lens, yeah. uh, a rosier picture than reality ever provided for people. It's a myth so to a degree. Different. And yet, so it's always been, families have always had their issues. And even if you were raised in yeah. a nice little nuclear family, you may have had an alcoholic parent or you may have had a father that traveled a lot and yeah. there was whatever. There was always issues. Precisely. And certainly family composition, like who the parents are, you know, whether there's one parent or three or, you know, whatever the the family composition is, is a lot less important to children's long-term development than, than the parenting approaches that whatever parents are in residence are taking with their mm. kids. So kindness, boundary setting... Uh, providing meaningful learning opportunities are way more important than do you have a, a mom and dad who love each other and love you. Yeah, so, it, that's great. And that's really, that's kind of hopeful, right? Because very, it's more about you can make yeah. it as great as you can make it. And exactly. the, one of the keys are the principles, not always, you know, the makeup. It precisely. And so families who are approaching the holidays or, or any other time as newly disrupted. So when the family composition changes, there certainly is a disruption period that can be very difficult for the kids and for the parent or parents. So so paying attention to that fact of there being a disruption period is important, but understanding that beyond that, that most kids who grow up in families of divorce do just as well as most kids who grow up in other kinds of families. Mm. You know, that's, so, it's true. It's, that's so helpful to feel because I, I was raised in a divorced family yeah. and I turned out okay. It, <laughs> exactly. But, me too. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting because we, I always felt like I was different or sh- yeah. strange and it is because you go to your, you go to everyone else's homes and you think, oh man, yeah. they must be happier. But in reality, that's not always the case. Yeah. I mean, in fact, it's interesting that, that, uh, I mean, what the research shows is that kids who feel loved and supported through that divorce process and whose parents are able to somehow to negotiate that custody of the kids amicably, you know, with friendship and respect, those kids can actually become more competent and more capable than kids who don't experience hmm. that, the, the challenge that's provided by living with divorced parents. What what makes them more? What would give them an advantage to maybe get more capable, more competent? Well, kids who see one or or even better both of their parents coping in their new situation, making good lives for themselves, actually develop some resiliencies. They learn a whole lot about coping with changes and setbacks in their own lives. Yeah. So so it can become a, a resiliency factor for kids. 
Now, of course, that doesn't always happen. So how you, how you parent through divorce matters a lot. That's and, great. You know, I put together some, some rules, like yeah. ideas for parents. Teach um, us some of these, because these, these are the rules. Sure. And, and I would assume that the rules will work also uh, whether you're co-parenting in divorce situation or trying to blend a family maybe even. Or... Yeah, which is its own set yeah. of challenges, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Teach us. Yep. So, I mean, sort of the, the first principle when you're dealing with divorce is to, to be kind to yourself. Understand that disruption is inevitable. If you can accept that, rather than trying to just be normal, just accept. Just like when somebody dies or somebody is very ill, just accepting it can help you as the parent and also your kids get through it more successfully. So if you don't accept it, I guess you're going to fight it. Exactly, and you put a lot of energy into that instead of into taking care of yourself and taking care of your children. Yeah. So, so, um, so finding a way to be okay with this disruptive period, and that's, that's easier said than done, no, obviously. Yeah. Well, what are some other things we could be doing and looking out for? Okay, and I think that, that rule number one following that is to, you know, and this is important for every parent in every situation, but it's more true for parents who who are going through some kind of a family turmoil situation be as available as you can to your kids be available as possible to listen like and really listen to be present to them to be quiet to be calm to give them a space in which they feel like they can process their own stuff mm. so and then to provide them whatever support you can through that cuz kids quite naturally when their their parents are disrupting their own lives, the parents are disrupting the parents' lives, well, the kids obviously have huge repercussions, and children can be expected to be angry. I mean, not all of them get angry. Some of them get sad. Yeah, but they Some should have negative angry. emotion. Yeah. I mean, that should be the norm. I mean, that sad, exactly. angry. Exactly. that. And, and it's okay for your kids to be really mad at you mm-hmm. or sending away your dad, their dad or their mom. Yeah, and not necessarily understand, right? Because no, they can't. Yeah, they're young, and they're developmentally at a different stage. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that sort of leads me to one of the other principles that's important, and that is not to use your kids as friends. They can't understand. Don't try to talk to them about your relationship with your ex-spouse in anything other than sort of broad terms. Make sure that you're communicating as honestly as you can at the level that they can process oh. in a healthy way. Yeah. So parents who talk to their kids about their sex lives and problems with that, that's really not okay. Yeah, out of <laughs> boundaries. Not helpful. Yeah. That's really not good. Oh, I, ha- I hear this know. all the time, though, where they, yeah. oh, yeah, well, you, so my your father is with his girlfriend now. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. Don't go there. It's tempting, but don't go there. Don't try to justify you know, your own negative emotions by whatever your ex-spouse is doing that you find horrendous to your kids. I mean, use your friends, okay, which is another important principle here, is put a lot of emphasis and time into creating for yourself as the parent a network of social support. Find adults with whom you can talk and process all of your anger and disappointment and fears and all of those negative emotions. Your kids are not the people 
to mm. do that with. But you do need people to do that with. So it can be a professional. It can be a good friend. It can be a family member. But somebody who can be there for you so you're not tempted to use your kids in that way. Mm, love that. I mean, really such great feedback and and so many ideas. We're talking again with Dr. Donna Matthews, who has been uh, the executive director for the Millennium Dialogue on Early Child Development at the University of Toronto, also founding director for the Hunter College Center for Gifted Studies. And she's teaching us today about how to um, how to kind of how to raise a happy, productive family if you've gone through a divorce, a separation, or if you're just in a not so perfect family setting. There's still some really powerful principles we can use and learn. We'll be back and uh, talk more with Donna about these principles and tools right after the break. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you wish you had a a bigger, stronger toolkit to create happiness in your family? Especially if you've you've noticed your family might be struggling a little bit. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, a separation. Maybe you're in a blended family. Maybe you're you're just you have other issues that are in the home uh, that make it so it's not idyllic. Uh, Wonderful guest joining us, Donna Matthews. Has uh, has some ten tips that she's sharing with us that we can use to build a happier family as we're as we're trying to just you know kind of get through some of the struggles that come with life. She's a blogger on Psychology Today and uh, also is has a has a wonderful um, book that she's written, Beyond Intelligence: Secrets for Raising Happily Productive Kids. She wrote that book with Joanne Foster. Dr. Donna Matthews, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Great to have you here. You've taught us so far that we need to, you know, kind of make sure we're kind to ourselves in these situations, be as available as you can for your kids. That'll help. Don't use your kids as your friends. That You shouldn't be letting them in on all of your secrets. And we, we should go out and find and build our own social network as a parent. My goodness, you've been taking notes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just trying to learn. That's exactly I'm right. Impressed. What else? What are some other uh, key points that you have, other rules we need to work on? Sure. And and I like how you're framing this. It's that, I mean, although people sometimes when they're in certain circumstances feel that they're all alone. Yeah. Their family is terrible and they're doing a terrible thing to their kids by living with divorce or alcoholism or, you know, any of those other problems. And, And sure, yes, they are problems. But they don't prevent anyone from being a good, effective parent, and they don't prevent anyone from raising happily productive kids. Yeah. I love so that, that you're blowing that myth up because yeah. it's too easy to just believe you've kind of blown it just exactly. simply because you're divorcing. Exactly. You haven't. There's so much you will be able to give your kids, and it's important you you stay positive in that and stay committed to doing what you can do within the circumstances. Yeah, that's great. So one of the one of the interesting um, 
ideas that's come up recently with some, some fascinating to me anyway research is the importance of being grateful that people who actively appreciate what's good in their lives, they feel better, they're happier, they're more energetic, they're more optimistic, they're more empathetic. It's interesting. Yeah. People like people who approach life with an attitude of gratitude rather than one of entitlement. So, and, and I find that, that contrast, you know, to set those two things, gratitude and entitlement, as opposites. It's sort of interesting. It's yeah. not sort of obvious to begin with, but if you can find an attitude of grateful, of gratitude, sort of to ask yourself in any given moment, no matter how dreadful it is, what do I have to be grateful for here? And you know, it's funny, it, there is always something. Yeah, and, there is. And focusing on that, and it's sort of, it's sort of trite, you know, it sounds sort of obvious, but, but uh, most people don't live their lives with that attitude of gratitude. No, and, and especially at that time, that stage, you know, in the yeah. middle of a divorce or a separation or but if you could if if you could just point out to your kids the yeah. things that are good, the things that are working and then have them point it out to you, maybe make exactly. it part of your dinner conversation every day. Exactly. You change it. Then then all of a sudden it doesn't seem like everything's dark. Precisely. Precisely. And I love how you put that that if you can do it for yourself and sort of model that is, yeah, you know, things are really rough now, but we really do have each other, don't we? Yeah. Or, you know, whatever it is you do have. And it's just sort of focusing on that and getting getting your kids. I love this concept that you just raised of sitting around at the dinner table and just asking that question very simply, just once. Don't make a big deal out of it, but, you know, just have a gratitude moment. What do you have to be grateful for today, Susie? Um and, and you just get that like a two minute conversation you can change you can change the tone of the family hmm. yeah and, and and it really is it's just almost a redirection of mm-hmm. what we're seeing and then once we see more of it then you don't have the other byproducts of kind of entitlement which is the pity when you don't pity party when you don't get what you want or exactly. the narcissism or selfishness that might kick yeah. in and it's powerful. Exactly. That's a great exactly. point. It what, is. It's really interesting to me that like there's solid research now on the importance of gratitude. Yeah. It's and, fascinating. So it is, and it's such a simple thing. You know, we you could have yeah. read it back in your little kids' books or in, exactly. in the Bible or wherever. What was uh what are some more? What are we've got a couple more minutes. What what else okay. do we need to focus on? Um one of the the things that um I find again it's another sort of very simple but very powerful concept is the one of the what, what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset, where what you do is when you have a setback, you learn to welcome setbacks. You welcome failures as learning opportunities. Hmm. So when something apparently, something appears to be bad, when it happens, so, yeah, suffer the badness, but then say to yourself, okay, what can I learn from this? So, again, it's a bit like the gratitude thing where you're reframing your experience. You're accepting it as it is, but you're saying, okay, there's something to be learned here. And there always is. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. Any failure or, or obstacle has its learning potential. And if you can look at that, look at, at your experiences that way, it is transformative. Well, think about that. If every problem becomes an opportunity, you've already changed it to a positive. Yep. And then 
and and just to know that oh okay it's it's a, it's not just a setback and a kick in the face it's a this is this is a moment to regroup to relearn mm-hmm. wow i mean that's powerful and just and just say we're setting back and now we're going to learn and we're going to then move forward exactly and it it moves in you know thinking about it in the parenting context for both parents and kids it moves people away from shame, embarrassment, humiliation. So, yeah, I had a setback. People do. And that's mm. what happens. We're, I'm learning. I'm growing. That's why I had this setback. Yeah. Um, we have about one more minute, Donna. What would you say? I always like to ask the question about what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference, um, either, even if you've said it before or that you could yeah. still say that would make the biggest difference for parents to feel good about their parenting through these hard times of divorce or separation? Okay. I, for me, the, the basic foundational concept is, it, you know, in the, the words that I use are loving attunement. So mm. if you can be present to yourself and your kids, if you can listen with love, you will be just fine. Mm. Attuned, meaning kind of registering on their level, connected, yep. exactly. and lovingly connected and present. That's powerful. Precisely. Yep. Man, and you know what? It almost sounds like that would be the answer because it seems it like in the divorce, what we would miss, yep. we think, are is just our moms and dads. But a lot of times we're not even present or attuned anyway. Right. And exactly. so now this might create a really healing process if we could actually be connected in those spaces. Yep. And, and it's a process, right? Yeah. Be patient with yourself around this. Do what you can. And so if today you've got five minutes of loving attunement, well, that's wonderful. Maybe tomorrow you'll have six. Mm-hmm. That's be- I think it's beautiful. Well, Donna, I, I love the idea, too, that, I mean, there's hope here. And it's, yeah. it's a slow process. We have to kind of take it as we go, don't we? We sure do, and be patient with ourselves as well as our kids. So true. Donna Matthews, uh, Dr. Donna Matthews, uh, is, a, is a resource you can go, go look at, read her, her great work. If you go to her website, um, beyondintelligence.net, a, a place where you can access a lot of that information. Kids uh, matter, and our parenting matters as well. So we appreciate Donna's help on that. Folks, there's hope. There's hope, even when it's not turning out quite like you liked, even when you're not feeling it's as perfect as you wanted it to be. Uh, Kids are amazingly resilient, and the principles work. We'll take a break, come back, go visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show today. Good stuff ahead, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> Just rocking. Getting you prepared for the big uh, holiday, Independence Day. And we're living in America, for heaven's sakes. If you can't shake it to this song, you probably need to move out of the country. We're going to now go down to two guys that shake it like the best of them. Our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Apollo Creed. Is super happy that you chose that song. <laughs> Isn't that a great tune? Was that Apollo's theme? Yeah, and then he gets 
Then he gets killed by that dude in the ring in Rocky Four. That's right. So thanks for ruining my day. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just tragic. I didn't know this was always oh, going to come back to Apollo Creed for I'm you. I'm just kidding. You like Apollo Creed. There's a new movie coming out. Did you hear about that? No. Apollo Creed's son, Jimmy Crack Creed, he is he's he's going to be boxing and uh what's his name? Rocky Balboa will be his trainer. That's a real movie coming oh, out. Oh, that's right. That's, I actually did hear about that. It's a big deal. That his name's not Jimmy Crack Creed. I didn't know his name. I made that up. Oh. I'm like, wow, okay, you're super in depth <laughs> yeah. on this. Yeah. <laughs> we really keep up on the Rocky trilogy <laughs> or the whatever it is. Hey, uh I got some good news for you guys. That's new. Generally, you start out with some wacko story and say, Spencer, it reminds me of you. No, no, no. This that's, one. That's right. No. Are you kidding? No, you, you usually do that, yeah. I'm not rude like that. I didn't say you were rude. No, it's not rude at all. <laughs> it's really entertaining, actually. But, but this is something that did remind me of you, Spencer. Okay. Uh, have, you heard of, have you ever heard of Martin Aircraft? Martin Aircraft. Uh-huh. By the way, Martin's my middle name. I feel like I should have heard about this. Yeah, but, this is huge. No. Uh, they're selling, they're beginning to sell its jetpack, a manned jetpack, and it'll be on sale in 2016. It's about 150 grand, and you can now have your own rocket jetpack. What? It flies How are they up. Regulate that? It flies up to 30 minutes. It just uses, I guess, regular fuel. I don't believe it. And the company claims that it can carry a payload of up to 265 pounds. Well, Brian's out. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna get Brian one then. Um, two hundred heights anyway. So. Two hundred sixty-five pounds, but apparently you can't be over five hundred and like twenty pounds. There, there's a, there's some other problem that they figured out. And honestly, that that was a bad bad study. Um, Forty-five miles an hour at top speeds, uh, altitudes of thirty-two hundred feet. What in the world? I know. Pretty cool. So you can go to, like, Salt Lake in, like, what, two seconds? Two seconds. Do people have a death wish, though? Yeah, sure. No, you just land. You just you land it. You get, like, certified and trained and stuff, right? No, uh-uh. Who's nope. flying what? at 3,200 like, feet, though? I could just go to Walmart and, like, <laughs> buy one. And put can you imagine? And, like, yeah, they have them, they'll have them at Walmart. They'll have them at Best Buy. They'll, they'll have you have to apply for one like you do for a gun and stuff. There has to be like severe regulations. Why? What? What? You're all. You're all. You're like a. You're acting like an eighty-year-old. <laughs> I don't know. I'm safety saying, engineer. What's like, your? Can you imagine? Like, if everybody just had one of these, the, <laughs> the news. To, the news would be all about the jetpack accident. Uh, they have to make like no. They have to make like traffic lanes, man. Fourteen people died yeah, at a church as they that, were landing but... their jetpacks. Like, do you have to sign <laughs> off with the Federal Aviation? Yeah, Act? So, bro, these, you would really have to make like these are like, great like questions, lanes, guys. Like traffic lanes. <laughs> you, you but you guys, you guys are missing the point. It's a jetpack. It's awesome. It's free. It's 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 free. It gives you freedom. You can fly anywhere you want. Wait, wait. You for can, a second, you said it was free. No, it's not wait, free. It's one hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, but you can go one hundred and fifty grand. Imagine, yeah, one hundred and fifty grand. Imagine oh, the yeah, day that you don't even have to go in your office on the main floor. You could just fly to your fiftieth story office <laughs> and just crash through the window. You're right Iron in your Man office. Iron Man does that every day at work. <laughs> I know. See, this makes you Iron Man. So you can, that makes you a superhero. Yeah. Exactly. Right, I See, if exactly. Rate is going to go down. I have a feeling it's going to go up because people are going to go take pictures in other people's windows. <laughs> or think about if you like rob a bank, you don't have to have a driver. You no, know, you just get in your jetpack and you're gone. Yeah, you could just <laughs> even you could wear your jetpack into the robbery, and then just fly right out. Just, yeah. I'm sensing all yeah, sort of like stupid criminal videos oh, because exactly. of the jetpack. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Eventually, though, all the kids will have one, and they'll just take them to school. And well, you know, it's one, it's if it's 150 grand, that eliminates a lot of people from. Well, one. how much did the first cell phone cost? Five million eight hundred and forty-four dollars. You don't know that. That's true. <laughs> what about the computer? Maybe the first computer cost that. I don't. No, know. it did. They were very expensive. My grandfather had a computer that was in a room. It was a big room computer for his office. It was his business computer. Do you envision a day where a jetpack will be like a computer? Yes. I think it's going to be called the Apple Pack. <laughs> Apple Pack. And you'll just it'll you'll wear it on your back. I, I It'll can't. be the Apple backpack, and you'll just put it on, strike a match, stick it behind you, light you up, booyah, you're going to school. Well, we take, have like, all the really <laughs> educated and entertained the listening audience yeah. here today. You know what? We call that the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> I don't know what you guys – hey, I listened to your show yesterday. You guys are fantastic. Are you, are you going to keep doing that show? We're – yeah. You gonna pull one okay. out today? You gonna do one yeah, today? No, nope. well, I was close. Probably the closest I've ever been to <laughs> saying no. Yeah, we're you're gonna too, do it. You're, you're not too tired today? No, no. We, okay, that's good. We, yeah, we're we're locked and loaded, man. What are, you, what are you talking about today? Okay, so there has been like this expansion, Big Twelve expansion talk overload. Yeah, and um, while it is very interesting and entertaining and won't go away anytime soon, we got a little tidbit from. Uh, the Big 12 blogger on ESPN.com, mm-hmm. Jake Trotter, about what BYU needs to do to get noticed by uh. the Big 12 to become undeniably attractive. Yeah, to become yeah. the hot girl at the party, <laughs> as Jerem Jordan always references. That's okay? awkward. Okay, yeah. Or the hot guy. And, and yes. the number one thing for me in getting noticed yeah. is simple. What? And that is <gasps> getting noticed. And how do you get noticed, Matt? Jetpack. That and? Six-pack. Uh, you win for you crying win. out loud. You win big games yes. on national television. Yes. And we've got national, and we've got some big games. Not only that, but BYU brings back a three-headed monster. And when you look at the history of what BYU has done with three-headed, with three-headed monsters, monster, mm-hmm. and that is, on offense, a quarterback, a running back, and a receiver mm. or a tight end. That's okay? great. When they have had upperclassmen excel at those three positions, they have put together special seasons. In one instance, a magical season. That's cool. And what do you know? In 2015, BYU has an upperclassman three-headed monster. Mm. This is so exciting. Mm-hmm. We will discuss the details. That is a good show. This. That is a good show. It's a now, great show. can I just add something? Yep. Sure. As a non-football expert, if you gave the three-headed monster a jetpack... For each of the three, you'd have a flying three-headed monster even better than a three-headed monster. <laughs> just a point. Just a fact. That's a fact, Jack. That is a fact. Okay. That's how I help. I'm, I'm not sure how that would work on the, on the field. <laughs> no, you just that's how they get on the field. So the team runs out, and the three-headed monster lands. <laughs> and it lands right in the middle of the field. And then there's the, there they are. That would be pretty intimidating. I'm very visual. Very visual. That would, yeah, that, I would be nervous. Okay. As an opponent, if I saw that, I would have wanted I know. Intimidated. Wanted yeah. They'd be shaking in their boots. I w- would want no part, zero part. Yeah. I might actually fake an injury so that <laughs> I don't have to go on the field. Does that guy have a jet pack? I am not playing. <laughs> um, Bro, somebody hit me right now. Hit my, I, am, my I am out of here. So just, I'm just saying, you guys, you guys have to tell them because they don't listen to me, but Martin Aircraft... 
fifty. It's only fifteen hundred, fifteen thousand, uh, hundred and fifty thousand bucks. That's Holy. just what is that? That's just three donations from an <laughs> alum. It's not even a big deal. Or it's just one donation from Spencer Linton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Spencer, it's, yeah. it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, have a great show. Glad I could be a part of this. Hey, you know, you always get us ready to go. <laughs> now you're ready. Uh, we're ready. Take care. Have a good <laughs> one. Have a ha- ready to go for the game. <laughs> have a happy Fourth of July. Same, to, Same you. to you. Peace out, yo. <laughs> I'm so cool and hip. That's great. You know, I like to help the boys down there. I like to give them the insight. A lot of people. You know, they, they're, they're sports all day, you know, so they don't always see the big, big picture. They always see kind of the micro sports picture. But I'm glad I could add the jetpack to the, uh, the three-headed dragon or the three-headed monster. Yeah. Now it's a dragon because it flies. Cool stuff. Hey, uh, that's the show. You know, here's the deal. We, we've got only so much time together. But remember, we're on podcast. You can find our podcast uh, at byuradio.org. You can find them at TuneIn if you have an Android phone or iTunes. And uh, go get the go get these. Go just see. We've got so many shows we've done. And if you'll just pass them on, you might have certain people that need to hear certain things. Email them some examples of that. And again, uh, we'll be back Monday with more ideas and more tools for you. But before we go, we like to uh, always leave with a hero. And today's hero, can I just suggest... You might want to go back with your family over this holiday and go do a little Google search under George Washington, under Thomas Jefferson, under uh, John Adams. Uh, You might want to um, learn about some of the people that were a pivotal major part of the Declaration of Independence and talk about those people and some of the stories. Earlier on the show, we had a wonderful BYU professor that was here, Jeremy Pope, and he walked us through some of the unknown stories and just some of the things that you may not have known were actually going on around the time of the Declaration of Independence. But we had some amazing heroes. A guy like George Washington, who was asked to lead uh, the war effort and and be the the general of the troops, the leader of the troops, and really didn't have uniforms, didn't have guns or ammo, didn't have what you needed to run a war, and yet as a hero, he had to go do it. And so he is going to be my hero of the day, George Washington, also because George understood something really powerfully, that uh, the um, our founding fathers could do whatever they wanted and, and write up a, a wonderful Declaration of Independence, and that was a really powerful document and a powerful thing. But George Washington realized that he's the guy that had to operationalize it and go win. If he didn't go win the battle, it would not have mattered what we were declaring. So to declare and not to do is really not a declaration at all. And I think the same principle exists in our lives, and I would just challenge all of us this weekend to go do more to show that we are not just benefactors of freedom, but that we're, we're supporting it and ensuring that it's going to continue with those that come after us. Folks, that's the show. We, we love doing it and love being with you. Have a safe, healthy, happy 4th of July, and uh, go teach your family about your history and their history and your favorite, favorite people. This is the Matt Townsend. Take care. Until Monday, be good and uh, make it a good one. <laughs>